episode number 56. That's right, folks. We interrupt our Luke Cage marathon uh, for basically work in this podcast, so feel special. Yeah, we wouldn't do that for just anybody because, fuck, that's a good show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, not surprisingly, that's going to come up this week. We've also got some news uh, in the wrestling side of things. Uh, we've got some TNL, TNA sale, uh, sort of not actually debacle. Yeah. Um, we've got some stuff uh, from Marvel. Sam Jackson's got a new rumor for us to talk about. Tom Holland gives us some Spider-Man uh, goodies. Uh, DC, we're going to talk about uh, DC's movie properties ranked by Heroic Hollywood and tell them why they're wrong. Uh, I don't know. I didn't read the list yet, but <laughs> I just assume I'm, dis- I'm going to disagree. Um, we get an Arrow trailer that I didn't hate. That's that's fun. Um, we have even more stuff. Teddy Ruxpin? That's right. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Power Rangers. Uh, now we're talking about Teddy Ruxpin, apparently. Welcome to 1987. Yeah. Um, Gotham, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Luke Cage. That's all ahead of us. We'll be right back. And we're back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, we talked a little bit last week about the, the pending TNA sale. Yeah. Uh, apparently still pending. Yeah. I kind of, this, this is kind of like... Uh, you know, all dressed up for the for the dance with no one to take you, dude. I've been following this all week long. I was I was actually like primed and ready to like sit down by myself and like throw in like a hey like breaking whatever news this just happened, and then send it over to Eddie so he could get it like put up on the site. Yeah, and nothing happened, man. Like no, no. Uh, apparently Dixie Carter has made an absolute mess of the negotiations. Uh, the only thing anybody involved in TNA can agree on is that she needs to go. <laughs> that's um, that's sort of tragic because like they they don't really have a good ex- there's no exit strategy here. Problem like, yeah. at this point there's like two people who will buy the thing and one person who can afford it and like just fuck off. You, there's not really any options here. The problem is that Dixie Carter owns seventy percent of the stock, so she gets to make the decision regardless. Yeah. Uh, Pretty soon, that seventy percent is going to be worth a you know big giant fuck all, but whatever. They did announce early this morning that they secured financing for uh, the Bound for Glory pay per view tomorrow. That's as we record this. By the time this comes out, it'll <laughs> it'll have happened already. Yeah. Um, and apparently, there's some big news that's supposed to be announced at the pay per view. Um, I don't. It's not a sale because no, nothing has changed hands yet. But they and they secured financing from an unknown party as of yet i wonder if we got some sort of handshake deal going on uh, like th- this seems like if if they were going to sell to wwe i could see that being the way they do it i i don't know um and honestly i was listening to so um you remember x-pac right yeah he's got yeah, his yeah. own podcast now as I mean, of like the beginning of this month it turns out they're not that hard to get no. <laughs> um only his is on after buzz tv okay um which is uh i think a maria menounos thing Oh yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's way smarter than a lot of people would give him credit for. Like he actually is super intelligent, and whatnot. But they were talking about this last week when he uh, interviewed uh, Rob Van Dam, like right before the Van Dam interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, everybody was speculating, like, "Hey, if WWE buys it, they're doing it for the tape library, and they're going to close it down and whatnot." And he was like, "You know, I don't think so." He's like, "I think they could." actually do something with the brand he goes could you imagine if tna was filmed at the performance center and at full sale 
university instead of at Universal Studios in Orlando where they currently film everything. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think they could revitalize the brand, and I think they would for their own purposes and whatnot. So that's actually kind of a little bit more hopeful because, yes, I want them to have the tape library. I really do because I think it would be amazing to see all that stuff on the network. On the other hand, I don't want to see all those guys out of work because they're not going to hire everybody and bring them onto the main roster. That's not going to happen. So if, if no, they buy I, it, in fact, they're probably not going to hire most of them. I would assume. Yeah, if they were to buy it though, with the intention of revitalizing the brand, they could keep a lot of those hands on. Um, and because they're developmental uh, system and NXT and everything, they could easily take those guys that they wouldn't bring to the main roster and put them in developmental until they learn how to work the quote WWE style. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, and that's just a little less sad, you know. Like, I don't have a whole lot invested in this, obviously, because I've I've watched you know pros- approximately uh, two wrestling pay per views in the last uh, eleven years, <laughs> and that's my experience with wrestling. But um, I always do get kind of a little bit sad when when you see a big gigantic corporation buy out the little guy like this and and you know absorb it. That happens in the video game world all the time. Like what I'm thinking of is like EA and its massive amount of casualties that they've left in their wake as they buy out smaller shops. Uh, that made great games and then just, you know, turn them into EA schlock. Yeah, did uh, on, you, did you ever least... play a game called Evil Genius? I don't think so. Dude, it was rad. It was like you played like a a um, James Bondian type villain. You get to pick like from your, nice. your pick of them. Um, and you have a henchman. And, I've always wanted my own henchman. And then like you start up the game with one and then you have minions. And the minions you don't necessarily, like you can't click a minion and say, hey, you go do this or whatever. But what you do is you assign them on missions like across the globe and whatnot. And the, like the minions automatically like go and run and do, and nice. the object is to build like this giant criminal empire. I believe it was an elixir, um, okay. production and, I, and EA, I think bought elixir and then squashed any hope that we would ever have of, of an evil genius That's like two or anything like that. What they do. Like they, 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 they're, I think with EA, it's primarily talent acquisition most of the time. Like Sierra yeah, is the they one want I the developers. Think of. Yeah, the Sierra was the one that um, probably I was most familiar with. Um, you know, like I played the hell out of the SWAT games and stuff like that. Um, Sierra had a lot of games from like the late '90s, which is like the beginning of computer gaming, and up until I mean, they were the they EA were. Buyout. Not quite on the scene. Like I, I first recall computer gaming being a thing. Like Doom, Doom. Yeah, they're is not essentially... Doom old or Wolfenstein old, but they're yeah. Like when, when everybody had a PC in their home, Sierra was huge. Like yeah, that was yeah. Like, like when, once, that, once right, that right around that started time. taking off a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. The the consoles have always been way bigger than PC game in terms in terms of sheer numbers. But PC gaming started being a thing. I think in the in the late nineties. And you're you're right. Sierra was definitely a big deal then. I think they've been around a little longer than that. Like I think they probably you know like I kind of want to go Google it, but. Um, I, I seem to remember Sierra being around in like the the you know mid mid nineties too ninety three ninety four ish, um, just not as big of a thing. But by ninety nine, I think they were kind of like a a big name in that. But anyway, they got eaten by EA and and sort of you know left to rot. So yeah, and that's that's a tangent from from the wrestling news. But I mean that's yeah. kind of a, a very pointed thing of like this is what happens. Um, yep, it's this is going to be different if WWE does buy TNA. It was going to be different than when they bought WCW. Yeah. Um, number one, there was a bitter rivalry between WCW and WWF. Um, and Vince wasn't ever going to give those guys the time of day. No. Number two, 
so many of the big stars uh sting kevin nash uh scott hall uh rick flair at the time um a whole bunch of them they were on guaranteed contracts so when that company got bought they got paid no matter what and their thought was you know why work if we don't have to at this point yeah we're sitting home we're getting paid anyway so why are we gonna go on the road 300 days out of the year and I wouldn't be entirely surprised if it was also kind of like a fuck you to Vince because, like you said, it was a bitter rivalry. Like, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they were just like, nah, we, I don't want to work for that guy. Uh, Hall and Nash would have come back. The problem is, is they they did lock themselves into those guaranteed contracts with WCW, and WCW made it hard to walk away. But um, there was there was speculation that those guys wanted to jump ship and come back. Interesting. And... They couldn't because of the, the the nature of their contracts and whatnot, and uh, e- even to the point where like when X Pac came back from WCW and and DX kind of ro- it didn't rise. DX was already up there because of Shawn Michaels and, and Triple H, but when DX um, kind of took on a, a new life, yeah, uh, X Pac actually came out on live TV and was like, you know, hey Ted Turner, let my people go, kind of a thing, <laughs> um, and. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think it was a fuck you to Vince in that in that. Uh, just 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 so much yeah. they wouldn't they they couldn't get let go, you know, like they just didn't have to, and yeah. like they were gonna get paid either way, and like. Not gonna lie, if I was gonna get paid either way, guys, being a wrestler is hard. Like you're away from your family yeah. like most of the year, and if you can sit at home and draw a paycheck and not have to go out on the road i mean fuck. just fuck it forget it not even being a wrestler if you just sit there if you just propose to you know 99 percent of america that you can just have a paycheck yeah and do whatever you want yeah, yeah. um sold yeah All so right. um so tell me dolph ziggler and the miz yeah so dolph ziggler and the miz um we're gonna have another match between these guys for the ic title um at no mercy uh next sunday so we'll be we'll be doing uh a, a podcast right mm-hmm. after that uh we'll be doing some live tweeting during uh, this is the only match that really has caught my eye. I mean, there's going to be other good matches at this. This is another SmackDown pay-per-view. Yeah. What makes this one special, though, is that Dolph Ziggler has put his career up against uh, the Miz's title. Um, And he didn't just say that he wasn't going to wrestle on SmackDown anymore. But now that there's a brand extension, there's been shenanigans going on, you know, with that in the past when they've done this. Yeah. He said he will not wrestle in WWE again. If he loses. Um, now, Easy Money says, okay, well, it's a work, so he's obviously going to win the title. Here's the thing, though. There's speculation that his contract is up and that he's already talked about doing other things, going out and wrestling the indies for a while. He's a huge um, stand-up comedian, Mark, and he does stand-up on his own, and he's been wanting to be able to go out and do more dates on the road as a stand-up uh, things like that. So at this point, um, even like knowing what's going on behind the scenes, like it doesn't make the outcome of this match clear. So I'm I'm gonna be kind of on the edge of my seat for this one, wanting to know what's gonna happen with Dolph Ziggler because I I don't want to see him leave. I think he's a hell of a talent. Um, but obviously, again, being a wrestler, being on the road, all that kind of stuff, it's hard. And if he feels like he's got to do something different and leave. Uh, to make himself happy, we have a better chance of him coming back at a later date and actually being able to have fun with it anyway. So, yeah, that's pretty badass. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not very often you get really actually true life big stakes in a match like that. So, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, and this could be speculation. I don't know. But because of the fact that that's out there, uh, this will be an interesting one to watch. Um, there's other good matches that are kind of uh, come up on this pay-per-view. I am a little bit behind on my SmackDown, so I'm not 100% caught up on what's going on. I think that we're finally going to get the Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton match, though. Wow. That'd be so fun. that'll be fun. Um, and then I'm not sure if I think it might be John Cena versus AJ Styles for the uh, for the title, if not a triple threat between him and uh, Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles. So we'll uh, we'll find out. We'll get there. I'm going to catch up this week probably, but it's it's been busy. Yeah, you know, Luke Cage and all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much my excuse for everything too. I mean, it's only been out since Thursday midnight, but uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I was watching it today in the middle of the day and then Netflix broke and like I was talking to somebody and they're like, well, why would Netflix just break in the middle of the day? I'm like, I was like, you know, if I had to guess, I'm going to say that Luke Cage is so popular and today is the first weekend day that it just broke. And they're like, okay, so what's the real reason? I'm like, I don't know, but that's my guess. (laughs) I just figured they had to figure out a way to kill a bulletproof black man. So, (laughs) I mean... That that's actually pretty much like I thought it was all original when I texted you that joke, and then I went onto Twitter for like five seconds, and I saw uh, some variation on that joke yeah. about ninety seven thousand times. Yeah, like uh, any subreddit that has anything to do with anything funny. Yeah, had like yeah. twenty posts of that. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. But you know. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about Marvel and uh, probably circle back around to Luke Cage probably in a little while. But right now we got a new pick of the Tom Holland Spidey costume. Um, and it looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, I honestly, there, there's not a ton of difference between this one and the one that we've seen. No, not at all. But uh, you know, I, I want to say like the the um, I don't know. I guess I'd have to go back and watch Civil War. I, I didn't, you know, particularly check out a lot of stills. <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah, of course. Um, but like I want to say like the belt sort of stylings and in cufflink accent thingies, those are kind of different. But yeah, it looks like he's got a little bit of new tech as far as the some of the wrist things and whatnot. But that that's kind of cool because Tom Holland's actually going to get to like spend some time in the suit because, uh, you know, quite a lot of Spider Man has been CG even since Tobey Maguire. But um, especially in Civil War, uh, you know, the parts where you didn't see Tom Holland's face were basically CGI. So right. Um, it's cool. They actually made a pretty convincing looking suit there. So, yeah, no. And, and seriously, this one, um, okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Garfield Spider-Man, especially the first one. And I really was looking forward to seeing that one. And even the sequel, I was really looking forward to. And honestly, amazing Spider-Man two did not let me down on a lot of levels. I thought the guy that they got to play Harry Osborn was fucking amazing. Um, and the fact that they actually killed Gwen Stacy, even though they had a huge star in Emma Stone player, like I was just like, that's that was ballsy. Like it, I, it's I, bold, and it's it, it follows suit with what the comics. So like the fanboys should have been happy for the most part, although there was a lot of bitching and kvetching anyway. But um, I mean, let's be honest, the movie did have some weak spots, but there did, there were but... things that I much preferred to it over over uh, Maguire Spider Man, and maybe that's partly because. Um, Spider-Man 3 sort of destroyed any goodwill I had for that franchise. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking really forward to Tom Holland's Spider-Man because we have spoken, about, I think, a little bit about the quasi-mischaracterization in both movies so far. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how they actually deal with that. Yeah. Uh, I The reason I'm looking forward to this one specifically, though, is because Marvel now has 
basically control over what's happening with Spider-Man. Um, and I always said, you know what, if you want to make this really cohesive, if you want to have a successful franchise, like you, it doesn't matter about petty ownership rights. Like you have to let Marvel do this because they're going to do it right because they've done it right with everything else. They took a property in guardians of the galaxy that nobody had any familiarity with whatsoever. And that movie was a fucking blockbuster. Okay. So we're going to have to talk about Luke Cage now because that's quite a lot of what I was going to talk about with Luke Cage. Like one of the big points with Luke Cage so far and Jessica Jones even is they managed to take these two completely unknown properties and make them really, really good. Uh, not completely unknown. Obviously, there's a bunch of comic book nerds like like throwing their phones, you know, because I just said that. But let's let's get it out there. Like as you can say Spider-Man to the average person and they, they know who that is. If you say Luke Cage, they have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Same thing with Jessica Jones. Jones. I, I would guess if you told them that Jessica Jones was a new show on Netflix, they would probably guess it was some sort of like single female lawyer rom-com sort of thing and nothing to do with like the show that we actually got. Um, regular people don't know about it. So Marvel has this amazing talent in taking these properties and adapting them for modern day and doing it well. So like where the DCU so far has been like, well, the way that we adapt this property is to make it grittier and blah, blah, blah. Everything has to be gritty in the new DCU. Yeah. Marvel, Marvel's managed to take their properties and keep the relevant parts of them and update them for today and do it in a way that feels pretty seamless. Um, so that's, you know, definitely something we're going to talk more about with Luke Cage. Um, but you know, this is a perfect example, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my... Um, I'm really, really excited about Spider-Man Homecoming because... Oh, I, I, I'm not sure that there's a movie I'm looking forward to more. And I, and I think they chose the title appropriately because Homecoming is a, a, a Spider-Man storyline from the comic books and whatnot. But I think it's kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, because this is... This is where you're finally Marvel's getting Spider-Man. Like, guess what? Yeah. Spider-Man. We're in it, bitches. Yep. So... Uh, I, I did not think that was a coincidence <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. So anyway, super excited about this. Uh, let's talk some Sam Jackson. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson teases in this article from Screen Rant, uh, teases that, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s going to be returning to the MCU soon. And I think we figured that was kind of only a matter of time. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is sort of bringing up that they're going to be, br- uh, bringing S.H.I.E.L.D. back into the, the public stage, so to speak. Like right now they've been operating sort of off the books and blah, blah, blah. But uh, in the show, it's become a thing that they're going to be bringing them back into the public stage and letting the public know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is still a thing that exists, which is funny because it's not like up until the helicarrier thing. It's not like they anybody knew who S.H.I.E.L.D. was anyway. But dude, Jeff Loeb, uh, who's executive producing all of the, the TV properties, the Netflix properties, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., everything else, has done such a fantastic job about keeping uh, the events of the movie goings on like in the eye of the watcher and everything uh i i think it's about time that that uh feige made this right anyway yeah i I agree um and besides that like shield has been a pretty integral thing in most marvel properties for a long time so and it's really coming to its own over the last its own over the last couple of years uh the first two seasons were kind of shaky and whatnot but season three was one of the most solid seasons of of a tv show you can have and season four seems to be starting out pretty solid i mean come on we get daisy ass in like the first 30 seconds of season four so (laughs) if you want to sell me on a product that's how you do it (laughs) um more so though her character is like full on quake now oh yeah you yeah. know what i mean and like she is a legit superhero like more so than any other person on that cast uh, 
No question. Yeah. So like she she is she went from like um you know kind of interesting hacker girl to like absolute badass um in in the past four seasons. So her her character progression I'm on I'm, in all honesty is one of the only things that's really kept me going through the show, especially during those first two seasons when it was kind of hard to follow. Um, because you just didn't care. Like when Agents of Shield was first announced, you're like, "Oh yeah, I bet we're gonna get cameos from like all these people." And we did in the first season. We got Sam Jackson in the first season um, as a cameo. After that, though, we didn't get much. Though, like, well, it was kind of dry. The, the only the only real cameos I think we've gotten from the movie is like Sam Jackson, Sitwell, and uh, Lady Sif. Yeah, we did get Sif. I forgot about Sif too. Yeah. And Sitwell. Um, but she's she's made this interesting. And plus, we get Ghost Rider the season two. See, um, I, that's what I think. I think Ghost Rider was a very ballsy move for them. I, I think it was a good play on their y- part. Yeah, so far it, it looks like it's turning out pretty well. Um, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll come we'll, back we'll to talk that about thought in this we, season because it definitely takes. Talk. Yeah, it definitely yeah. takes the the series for a turn. So, all right, let's talk DC for a little bit. Let's um, do it. DC movie properties ranked. Uh, this is coming from heroichollywood.com. and uh, Matt put this in the show notes, and I haven't even looked at it yet, so it'll be interesting to see if I agree with any of it. Um, because I usually tend to not. So first of all, I apologize because it's one of those things where you have to literally click next on everything. Slideshow, yeah. yeah. I um, mean, okay, so let's start off with that heroic Hollywood. Fuck your slideshow. Just yeah, put it all in one page. Yeah, don't do that shit. We're not running out of page. No, it's fine. So starting at number thirty-three, Supergirl, uh, the nineteen eighty-four uh, movie. Actually, this surprised me because there are movies that I think I would have ranked worse. I mean, I've never even seen this, and I didn't know it was a thing. So. I, I I guess I I can give him that one. You didn't know it was a thing? Nah. Helen Slater, man. Okay. And that's that's what makes that's Helen Slater plays one of her adoptive parents in the TV show. Like that's why that is because there's Dean Cain and there's Helen that's Slater. That's very good. I didn't see. I didn't even know that was a thing. I yeah. got Dean Cain. I was like, oh, they got Superman back to play her. Oh, that's yeah. clever. Uh, Helen Slater though. They just yeah, they got Supergirl one. back to play Supergirl's adoptive Earth mom. Yeah. yeah nice. Um. So that one I don't think was the worst. Jonah Hex is number thirty-two on the list. Haven't seen it. You never watched that movie? No, I should. I, I do want to. Here's the thing: uh, it's got Brolin in it, and he was pretty good. But the deal with the movie itself is, is that now that we've got Jonah Hex in the Legends of Tomorrow universe, you don't need to watch this movie because that's way better on the no, TV. Good. <laughs> okay. Thirty-one <laughs> Superman Four: A Quest for Peace. Uh, you know, this might have been on the bottom of the list for me. This might, th- I, in fact, to me, it does rank below Supergirl. If there were fifty DC movies so far, I still might right, might rank this one. You know, like sixty-five. Yeah. Well, nope. The next one probably even lower. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you this one. Catwoman number thirty. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, what a what I think a cluster. Everybody fuck. forgot that Catwoman was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> number twenty-nine. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal stars as Steel. This might have been just above Catwoman. <laughs> just barely. So, everything we've talked about on the list so far, uh, Catwoman and this, bottom of it for yeah. us. So, the next one's kind of interesting. Number 28 is The Losers, which I also haven't seen and have no familiarity with it at all. But look at the cast and you see some interesting things. Uh, from left to right, is that Zoe Zaldana? Uh, it might be. Yeah. And then you got Chris Evans. Yep. We've got uh, uh, fucking Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yep. Uh, Idris Elba is in there. Yep. And I can't even see from the back who the back two guys are. 
But uh, interesting, you know. An this movie enough, didn't suck, actually. Yeah, I've heard that actually. It's worth watching uh, at least. But the the cast alone is like, well, you got Chris Evans, Idris Elba, and uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Like that, you sold me on the movie right there. The problem was when this movie came out, it was right around the time that comic book comic book movies were kind of starting to 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 do really well. Yeah. Um, and they made a movie on a property that nobody gave a shit about. Um, this was the Losers is kind of based on some of the um Vietnam era comic books, like or World War Two comic books, like the war era comic books that came out that actually focused on the war and whatnot um and you can do that i think but i here's the thing i don't think you need to put together this ensemble cast to make that movie because Mm. it's not going to sell more tickets to a movie that people aren't familiar with anyway well see what's interesting here is uh at this time many of these people were were i'd call them up and comers when when did losers come out I want to say it's like a 2004 or 5-ish, that range. It's Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, and, you know, these guys weren't necessarily who we know today. Like, uh, no, Chris Evans, what? for I'm sure. I'm going to say it was probably 2008, 2009. Oh, really? You think yeah. so? Well, maybe then. That that would have been on the, you know, just a couple of years before Captain America. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's been, and I mean, he's been a kind of a big deal for a while, I think, or a reasonably big deal. Idris Elba, though, is a relatively newcomer, I, I think. Zoe Zaldana, um, why do I think I'm getting that wrong? Uh, Zaldana though has been a, kind of a big deal for a while too. Like she, she, um, I think took off like a rocket. Idris Elba, uh, we already talked about. We'll and, talk a little bit more about Zoe too as as we get into the show a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Number twenty seven, Batman and Robin. Oh my god! I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that this is fairly low on the list. Yeah, I'm surprised that it's not lower. Again, it, maybe maybe yeah. they they should have just tied for last, and then you'd have all this dumping ground of movies. Here's the thing: Clooney as Batman could have been really, really good if the movie hadn't sucked. See, if the writers of of Batman movies were writing movies today, I could totally see Clooney cast and killing it. Uh, but man, Schumacher's Batman just damn. They really went full on Bill Dozier, yeah, and and sixty six Batman TV series in that movie, and it it showed quite a bit. And it was, you know, Batman Forever was a departure, I think, from the aesthetic and, and the universe that uh, uh, Tim Burton was building. But man, they went full retard with it, uh, Batman and Robin. It was the transition for, of direction from Tim Burton because he he directed the first two and then Schumacher directed the next two. Um, he remained on as an executive producer uh, for the third one. Tim Burton did. But then I think Batman and Robin just kind of went off the rails completely. Yeah. And you know what? They had another movie planned after that, too with Clooney as Batman like they had it already written and ready to go and then Batman and Forever fucking just tanked and they were like nope we're pulling the plug yeah for the best Um, Kevin Smith actually was asked to come aboard and head a comic book movie division at Warner Brothers like they wanted him to be like the president of a division at that time and then Batman and Robin tanked and Plus, he was still kind of an indie director, and he was kind of the the gem of indie film at that point. Uh-huh. And he didn't want to lose that, so he kind of had already turned down the position anyway. But then right after that was Batman and Robin, and everything got yanked anyway. So he was like, even if I had taken that, like, I would have lost my job the next year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's probably not wrong, Like, unless he got significant creative control over a lot of that. Like, uh, Damn. I yeah. Mean, damn. Number 26. Yeah, 26. Return of the Swamp Thing. Uh, I don't remember this, and I didn't see it. But Locklear? Yeah, Locklear was super hot then, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Standing next to Swamp Thing. Cool. 
Superman three number twenty five. Um, yep. Gosh, Superman three. Actually, I have fond recollection of. Even though I think if I watched it today, I'd probably be pissed off at myself for thinking that it kind of doesn't hold up. But it's still a classic in a lot of different ways. You get to see Superman fight himself. Yeah. You get to see Superman yeah, fight. Yeah. See, that's Superman. what I remember. I I remember that. And, I, and, and know, the peanuts. Yeah. In the bar, which Supergirl replicated wonderfully this last season. So. Yep, that was pretty cool. Uh, number twenty four, everybody's favorite, Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. I'm still going to say not a horrible casting choice, just terrible script. Th- this could have worked, but so many bad decisions. Uh, the, you know, like they should have put him in an actual suit for one. They should have, you know, written a, a coherent movie. You know, it, just it's often said that acting uh, is a series of choices and whatnot, but uh, so is script writing in in a lot of cases, and they made the wrong choices. In this yeah, script. yeah. Number 23, uh, we just talked about it actually a little bit, Batman Forever. It makes sense to me that this is further down the list than um, Batman and Robin because, you know, actually I fondly remember this movie as well. But, uh, you know, aside from a couple moments where Jim Carrey is a little too Jim Carrey for me uh, and then Tommy Lee Jones chewing the scenery in every fucking scene that he's in yeah, because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> um, aside from those two things, this movie wasn't terrible, except for when you look at the trick-or-treat scene. That is pretty terrible. <laughs> because Alfred is literally opening the door to trick-or-treaters who have gotten up to the mansion door already. And yet, when they leave, you see the Riddler and Two-Face deviously trying to plot their entrance into Stately Wayne Manor. But these trick-or-treaters have already done it. Like, they're there. <laughs> so, so, these kids can do something that these supervillains just fucking... You, you it's think they're sitting them. there like, well, why don't we just go to trick-or-treat? That's like, they just did that. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Number 22, Batman the Killing Joke. Um, hey, This honestly wouldn't have been this low on the list for me. It probably wouldn't be for me. I think, though, it turns out we're probably the two people that really like this movie. I'm, I'm going to say it's top 15 for me, but not... That's probably fair. Not this low. We'll continue down the list, but yeah, I wouldn't put it in the realm of like Batman Forever. Yeah, we, and we don't need to expose on it too much or expound on it too much because we we just did a fucking full on podcast about it a little yeah. bit ago. Uh, number twenty one, Red, Red two. two. I have not seen this. I did see Red, and it was okay, completely forgettable. Like I remember nothing about it, but I don't remember it being spe- specifically horrible either. Much like the losers, uh, Red and Red Two are not comic book properties that people are necessarily yeah i'm sure we just said it was a dc property they were like what yeah they're they're not familiar with it being an actual comic book and whatnot but red was i like the first one um the second one i haven't seen it yet i'm a big fan of um of uh what's her name though helen mirren nope well uh mary louise parker oh yeah yeah yeah. because she's like 50 something and i would totally do her yeah anyway (laughs) mary call me um, number 20, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. This is going to surprise me because as critically panned as this movie was, I was surprised to see it in the top 20. I think if you made this instead the ultimate cut, it could go farther down the list. But it could. The, it could. the theatrical cut, I think, belongs probably in the lower side of this list. Um, you know, anyway, rose colored glasses aside, I, I, th- I do think this movie was not great, and I could see why people put it down Still there. Still a huge fan of any scene that fucking Batfleck was in, though. Oh, yeah. Except for. What is that name? Yeah. Yeah. Except for, again, your incredibly questionable writing choices. Yeah. Number 19, Swamp Thing. See, um, this is this is kind of sad to me because there's movies that are on this list that I think are definitely above this. 
Yeah, and, that, and that's I actually love Swamp Thing. The little blurb here says kind of the same thing. It seems like if they had made this movie sooner, like this, this is like if DC were going to do what Marvel was doing, DC would pull a Swamp Thing out of its ass and actually manage to do it well, and that would be like the big toy this Christmas. Here's the thing, man. If DC made comic book movies like that were fun and they wanted to do dark and gritty, they can do that with Swamp Thing. For sure. It, it actually makes sense. It, if they like look at anything Swamp Thing written by Alan Moore, which would be the like the saga of the Swamp Thing series, do that and and make it a gritty, edgy movie because yeah. you can totally. I'm just saying, like th- this could easily be like their Guardians. It's got it's got good material behind it. It's not a well known property. That that's easily something that they could pull out. You know, like it'd be it'd come out of left field for most people if they could do it well. Look at the Constantine. Was it? I don't, I don't remember if it was the um, Hellblazer Rebirth issue or if it was Hellblazer number one. But the the whole Swamp Thing aspect of that, yeah, was entertaining. Like it yeah. was it was yeah definitely riveting. So number eighteen. Batman, uh, 1966, rather. This is the Adam West uh, uh, Batman movie, of course. With Burt Ward, of course, as yeah. uh, uh, Robin. Oddly enough, this this series came out in 1966 and, and got a movie the same year. All right, folks. We're back. That yeah. Interruption we're... brought to you by my daughter. Yeah. Who, if you're following along at home, is upset because Eddie's daughter is actually here hanging out with my kids. And... Uh, apparently she's quite the hot commodity. Yeah, I guess. I mean, um, I don't get it, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what she told me today? Actually, we were listening. She's going to hear this as it turns out because uh, we were talking about something and I was like, yeah, you're going to have to go upstairs when we do the podcast because that's not suitable for children. And she's like, well, I've listened to like 15 of them. And her mom looks over like she only heard the part where she's like, yeah, I listen to like 15 of your podcasts. And Ashley looks over and she's like, is that suitable for kids? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, not no, really. We we really earned that explicit tag, folks. Uh, don't listen to this with your kids. Yeah. I, I mean, you know what, Dever, do whatever you want with your kids. I mean, they, we're not going to tell you to raise your kids, but uh, yeah. Um, we're also not legally responsible for if you get them taken away. Yeah, like if I you mean, it just if if uh, you you happen to write in and say like you know you said fuck too many times in front of my kids, it's it's not me at your house like blasting we, our shit. In, we in carry your an explicit tag for a reason. <laughs> yes. iTunes is very very adamant about making sure that we put that in there <laughs> yeah pretty much um, um so right. batman 66 uh it's it's number 18 on the list um you know this movie gave us shark repellent so i'm not gonna <laughs> knock this too much <laughs> i think garmin's probably sitting at home like listening and he's like fuck that batman 1966 is the best movie ever you know garmin's not listening to our podcast i like to pretend uh if he seven... was if he was he'd sue me every time i went <laughs> Ooh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> the guy owes me a quarter. Fuck him. Uh, I gotta tell you. <laughs> number 17 is Red, uh, the original. Um, yeah, it was slightly better than I, Red 2. I enjoyed Red. I, I didn't hate it. It was okay. And I, yeah. The fact that I don't really remember anything about it other than that it had a lot of cast, a lot of you know high, highly established cast members, it was pretty telling, I think. Number 16, it, Constantine. Um, I don't remember shit and thing about this movie other than when I see pictures of it, I'm like, man, they actually made Keanu kind of john constantini yeah like um, like they got they got in broad strokes some of the things right and then some of the things were like what yeah um, I'm, I'm gonna watch it again i think after i finish up with the uh, constantine tv series that i started watching the other night and uh 
compare and contrast yeah yeah that'll be interesting i haven't watched any of the constantine tv series so my only exposure to constantine on tv was through arrow and i thought he he actually nailed it like um, uh was it matt ryan is that his name yeah yeah scottish feller he's he's good Either that or it's an entire coincidence that uh, Constantine or Hellblazer Rebirth, you know, basically cast Matt Ryan as as their star. <laughs> Number 15, Man of Steel. Um, you know, I don't know what's on the rest of this list, but I feel like me and you are like one of the, t- you know, two, again, the two people that like this movie. Yeah, I think I would have put it higher on the list for me. Yeah. Number 14, V for Vendetta. Um, this is another movie that I often hear like talking about in comic book threads and what have you that I feel like I'm the only person that really, really likes. But I do remember the 5th of November, and I do like to watch this movie on that day. I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Um, Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman, I think, were amazing as the two leads in this movie. And, and honestly, can't. I it would have been higher than 14 for me, I think, on the list. Because I'm I'm it is an art house type movie a little bit more than it is a blockbuster summer movie, which maybe is why it's 14. It is. It's got it's got a little bit of weakness in there in some places, but there are some places that I, that I just love it. Um, you know, like the the, la- the one of the penultimate scenes, like you know, ideas are bulletproof, Mister Creedy, and then you know all yeah. that shit. That that's and just amazingly done. Don't get me wrong, I'm the Alan Moore graphic novel still better than yeah. the movie, but. I mean, it's like reading a movie or uh, reading a book and watching the movie. The book's almost always better, folks. Like, and I don't Unless think it's all it's that Watchmen. different. <laughs> yeah, it's not usually all that different with uh, uh, comic books either. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Number, Number 13, thirteen, Suicide Squad. Eddie can't really talk about this because he hasn't watched it yet. Someday, folks. Someday. Um, so it's interesting to me that this movie is this high because I think that Su- Suicide Squad has probably uh, been you know not quite panned by critics but it certainly hasn't been a a surefire thing okay so it's seven places higher than batman versus superman which was panned by critics yeah um i think this is probably an appropriate spot for it i like i liked it uh quite a bit actually okay um so i'm i'm gonna say 13 is probably good number 12 is Watchmen. um I like this movie. I actually, I, I'll go so far as to say I really like this. Um, I I uh, heard it was coming out and I didn't know anything about it, and so that was essentially what exposed me to the Watchmen graphic novel, which is one of the like. There's a reason why, like, uh, when you talk about comic book nerds, and you know, when when we say no, it's a graphic novel, like it's it's Watchmen that we're talking about. First off, right. I don't do that, but like when people are like, no, this is an art form, like it's the Watchmen book that they're talking about. And for me, Watchmen the movie did a pretty phenomenal job of adapting that to the screen poor jeffrey dean morgan man like he has been so many characters that are actually dc properties is ridiculous like he's the the comedian <laughs> yeah. in the watchman um and then he's the the lead in the losers who's i can't remember his character's name i can't either watch it forever but he, he's thomas wayne he's thomas wayne like the, yeah <laughs> i guess he was finally like all right none of this is helping i'm going to image and now he's he's of course yeah negan dude i wish I wish that DC had, or that that uh, not DC, but that uh, they would just do like Batman in the CW verse, mm-hmm. just so for Flashpoint, Jeffrey Dean Morgan could be Thomas Wayne in that, the Batcave when when Barry Allen. See, the part of me was like, why did they cast Jeffrey Dean Morgan for this? Lit- I mean, like, I don't even know if he's on screen for ten whole seconds. Like, why why bother casting somebody like that for yeah, that? That's that a role? big get for a, a tiny role like that. Yeah, um, you know, it made a little bit more sense seeing Maggie, whose name I can't remember right now. 
um, from The Walking Dead, Maggie playing Martha Wayne. Like, she, see, like, that was appropriate. It's a gigantic movie. That's still a pretty big deal for her. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Jeffrey Dean Morgan's quite up there until I was like, so, somebody, somebody pointed that out. Like, well, Flash is coming up. Flashpoint. You know, what if they had Flashpoint and they somehow managed to make Jeffrey, even if it was like 10 minutes of, of screen time in, in whatever movie they did, um, that yeah. would have been so fucking rad. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. Like, that's just, that would be gold. I guess, and, I guess that's not off the table, but um, uh, it, well, it would be. Well, they've already said they're keeping the series and the movie verse separate. Yeah, so. I mean, there's no reason to think that they couldn't do Flashpoint, though. But I have to assume that when they did Flashpoint for the shows, like that, de- a decision like that has to go up the chain a little bit. And it, it's not like I, like I think they had to clear that with somebody. Can we use one of the bigger stories of all time and and make adapt yeah. that to, especially of the modern time? Can we use one of the bigger stories of the modern time and adapt that to the TV show? Or you guys got anything like that going on in the next five years or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it's pretty safe to say we're not going to see that in the movie verse anytime soon, anyway. Yeah. Number 11 is Superman Returns. Okay, now we can finally get into the point where I strongly disagree. Man of Steel is a better movie than Superman Returns. It is. It is. Here's the thing. Um, I did not like Superman Returns that much. Um, I thought the hour in the middle was pretty entertaining, but the other two hours on the front and back were pretty slow. I will give it this. Uh, Brennan Routh did an amazing job emulating Christopher Reeve's Superman. Yeah. Like, Because this was a direct sequel to those. That's actually probably the the biggest weakness in Superman Returns. I think is that, um, well, I don't know that. No, that's not. In fact, that's not storytelling was that's his biggest weakness. It, biggest weakness is definitely storytelling. And I think actually now that I think about it for a second, I actually did like that. I did like that. It was almost an homage to Christopher Reeves. Brandon Routh can do an amazing, you know, uh, a job of emulating what what Christopher Reeve did. He's an amazing, humble man that has more ability than he. Uh, likes to let on. He does it in Superman Returns very well. He does it in Legends of Tomorrow very yeah, well. Yeah, even as, as Ray Palmer. As Ray Palmer. Yeah. Um, it, it, obviously, he's a, he's a little he's bit more mouthy as Ray Palmer. But... In Ray Palmer, but he's very humble at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I guess this is our, our way of saying we really like Brandon Routh. Come on the show, buddy. Yeah. Um, Kate Bosworth, though, still don't like her as Lois. I didn't hate her. I, I mean, didn't hate her as, as, as Lois. I didn't. Uh, this is one of those movies for me that, like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it wasn't so bad. And then, uh, or this, that, that was pretty good. And then I rewatch it and it's like, I don't know. I've never been a huge fan of Margot no. Kidder, though. And it's really hard to watch the crazy out of your mouth. So, like, especially when she went through all, all her shit, like, Kate Bosworth to me was just like, huh, she's not fucking batshit. So, yeah. <laughs> Like I, I see, and I was going more like the comic book nerd angle of like Kate Bosworth isn't at all what I picture when I picture Lois Lane. No, of but course, neither is Amy Adams. I was going to say, in fairness, neither is Amy Adams. So yeah. All right, number ten is The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, I think now that we're getting into the meat and potatoes, The Dark Knight Rises is definitely the weakest of the Nolan trilogy. I agree with it being below the other two. Absolutely. Yeah. So I and I assume we haven't hit those movies yet in this, well, we and obviously haven't. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I assume they make the list somewhere. So anyway, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, I think, was, um, you know, in places it's a little bit of a clusterfuck and there's a little bit too much plot holy kind of thing in there. It's sloppy compared to Nolan's other two efforts in the Batman-verse. For sure. Number nine, Batman, the 1989 adaptation starring, you know, uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. I actually really love this movie, and this is where it's going to get interesting to me because I could probably put this on the list higher, except for I'm assuming that I'm going to hit some other movies here that I've forgotten. So um, I love what this movie did for the aesthetic, too, especially when we were talking about, like, in its day, this was the dark and gritty reboot. And even watching it now, like, I, I really would hold that this movie holds up pretty damn well. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, number eight, A History of Violence. I have no fucking idea. Neither honestly, of us guys, I knew this was a not decent a property until right now. Actually. All I know... Well, I, I mean, not right now, but I mean, I read through this a couple days ago. And all I know that but, apparently is that Aragorn was not it. Uh, I've seen it, or at least most of it, and it is... It's very Jason Bourne-y. Oh, yeah? Uh, like, he is working in a little diner thing with his wife that they own together and whatnot, and then some guys come in and he fucking annihilates them um, and, like, realizes that he's, like, kind of a sleeper agent and whatnot. Like, it's it's really Jason Bourne-y. Oh. Um, See, I wasn't I aware that, that this was a DC property. I might watch that, even though it is it, it does sound a little bit like a knockoff, but uh, just because Viggo Mortensen kicking my ass is, is a good film. It's not a bad movie by any means. It just isn't anything that i knew was comic book related until i this article this, came this out. article yeah yeah number seven we got batman returns um would have put this below batman i would have that's me actually i i think i like returns a little bit better um just a hair not much i could have argued either way like so here's the thing depending on what day you talk to me i could i would here's, I probably would here's argue the thing. either way if you watch this movie i have a lot actually and you watch it in close proximity to batman forever and batman uh and robin yeah. Tim Burton made a lot of the same mistakes that Schumacher did. It's just because the tone of the movie was a little bit different that you didn't notice. But there's a lot of ridiculous in this movie. Like, a lot of ridiculous. No, that's fair. Like, this movie definitely has, like, like a lot of... Like, the penguin even running for mayor. Like, the whole plot of this movie, like, is... Like, at, on one second, it's like, there's one plot, and then the next second, they're like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> let's do something else yeah yeah uh so this movie doesn't work for me on a lot of levels uh it's okay um i i thought pfeiffer as catwoman did an amazing job i thought pfeiffer selena kyle did a mediocre job mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's that kind of a thing um devito as penguin obviously his performance there's nothing that can be faulted there um max shrek uh christopher walken obviously was in it Christopher Walken being the least being, Christopher Walken yeah. that you've ever seen him be but the kid that played his son in the movie Chip yeah was almost like out walking Christopher Walken during this movie like I don't know if you've seen it in the like the last decade but... oh no 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 I totally have like uh I found it on Amazon uh, uh probably like less than a year ago yeah and I was like oh I gotta watch that and I watched it and I was like actually pleasantly surprised that I still really enjoyed the movie um it you know it is obviously a little outdated at this point but um it, it was still a totally enjoyable flick so um but yeah I, I saw the same thing that it's like they were like hey chip uh actor that plays chip what we need you to do is you see christopher walken uh just do more of that just do that but like do like it's like a, it's like yeah, a the ralph Harmon impression of of whatever it is yeah. yeah and and the most unforgivable moment of this movie is after uh they broadcast the the penguin outing himself with his nefarious plot yeah via cd uh-huh uh, Alfred scratches it. Oh God, that was as, that, as that was very Schumachery. Yeah, that was very like like, like I assume Mr. Schumacher was like on the like, set and he was like, we, yeah. we need we need him to scratch the disc now, even though yeah. that doesn't make sense, even though that's a CD and that doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> no. Uh, number six is Road to Perdition. Have you seen this? I haven't seen this. I watched this. This is an excellent movie. I had no clue it was a comic book property. Still, 
Yeah, so th- this is a movie that I think has been on my tradi- like my almost everlasting like someday I'll see that movie and it's I still have it. It's fucking fantastic because it's Tom Hanks in a in a like 1920s like Al Capone era fucking gangster movie and it's oh, amazing. Like I, I think like with the rest of America I'm a big Tom Hanks fanboy and like pretty much anything they tell me Tom Hanks is going to be in yeah. I, I have at least a mild interest in. Captain Phillips was probably the first movie in that Hanks has done in a while that I was like I just don't care about that at all. Yeah. All right, number five is Superman 2. Um, see, now, here, I, this is, uh, you know, I, I have a kind of a quasi-idea about what the top four are going to be, and I'd say Superman 2 definitely belongs in the top five. In fact, I kind of feel like Superman, they're going to put the original Superman in the top five somewhere ahead of Superman 2, now that we're reading this list, and I almost think that Superman 2 belongs above it. Superman 2 is pretty phenomenal. Superman 1 was good, but it was really long for the story that it was telling and so it's not as uh pacing. Pacing means a lot when it comes to telling a good story sure. on screen and Superman 1 definitely did not have what Superman 2 did have in terms of pacing. You know, I could see though like just being a little boy who like this was when I was like 5 or 6 like Superman 1 and 2 were like the movies that like like really first got me excited about superheroes and uh, and comics and all that kind of shit and uh, i could see that superman might get some points just for nostalgia like just like again th- these are other movies that i've rewatched in the, in the recent memory um recently i think actually because we might have talked about this on the show but the donner cut of superman 2 yeah. was a thing that i did not too long ago that's that's the thing is for <clears throat> me superman 2 for it to be in the top five has to be the donner cut because if it's not the donner cut then it belongs below 15 yeah, the Donner cut. I I don't know that I'd go that far, but I think that again, just the way I'd say the ultimate cut should be the definitive version you watch of Batman versus Superman. The Donner cut for me is probably also the definitive ver- version of Superman two. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised to see it in the top five, and I I think that that's fair. Super super good movie. Four is gonna surprise you. Four does surprise me, but actually I totally get it. Doesn't surprise me in terms of how good it is. It, it surprises me in terms of. It's this far up on uh, on this list. That's what surprises me. Yeah. So number four is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, one of the animated properties. Actually, this comes from the, the Bat- first of the animated uh, full length animated movies. Yeah. So this is from Batman: The Animated of, Series. Of that that version. Um, the, Mask of the Phantasm. Man, this is another one that I didn't get to discover until way after it was a thing. And again, rewatching it, I was like, I cannot believe how good this is. This is the first movie that was an animated property that Warner Brothers really proved themselves uh, inept at promoting because it was an amazing movie. Should have done better theatrically, but they had zero support from the studio. Yeah. Number three, Batman Begins. Uh, yeah, th- this seems like where it belongs because I have a feeling I know what the the number one spot is going to be. And I like the photograph here because Katie Holmes's boobs are really pronounced. <laughs> um, yeah. But, can I just can I just say that Katie Holmes is greater than Maggie Gyllenhaal? I just I can wish I, is would, that okay? I wish she wouldn't have gone through the whole uh, uh, Tom Cruise Scientology craziness. I don't even care because she was smart to leave. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I'm happy for her. Don't get me wrong, but if she hadn't been in the midst of that bullshit at the time, we would have gotten Katie Holmes as, uh, you know, Katie Holmes uh, playing that character in in uh, the Dark Knight. Yeah. So anyway, Batman Begins. You know, this is again where I can I understand exactly why they would they pick the one to go ahead of it. I, the Dark Knight is either number two, but most likely I think it's the number one spot here. I was just going to ask you what do you think the number one is, and and uh, I'm already at number two, and I know that it's not the Dark Knight Return or the Dark Knight. So yeah. All right, uh, that's interesting. 
that's uh so superman the movie is number two yeah okay and uh not deservedly so i I mean i I, don't get me wrong like eddie said before there's a nostalgia factor to it but ultimately this movie is not the second best dc property that there is no it it is we've talked about four other ones that i think are actually probably better better movies like adjusted for the time frame obviously this is probably one of your go-to's but i i still think i would give superman 2 the bigger nod among, uh, over superman 1 here's the thing with superman 1 to me and this is the only thing that really grabs me to this day and that is that this movie was promoted as being the movie that will make you believe a man can fly and yeah. it did yeah see that's so, what i was gonna say like if you want to talk about like this movie um the main thing i think is that for that that actually did for me as a kid i was like holy shit like that actually like, yeah yeah it's similar to jaws and that jaws was a movie that like legitimately had a third of the world's population afraid to swim in the ocean yep it 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 did the same thing as far as like making you believe that a, a superhero can happen, even though it it's dated at this point. At the time, though, it was super huge. Yeah. So I just think that the, um, on merits alone, Superman two is the better movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, number one, at no surprise, I think to probably either of us, if if you didn't guess this is going to be either one or two, I'd be really surprised. Um, the Dark Knight. Um, so, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Uh, this is, you know, this is another sort of quasi-controversial choice to me, um, because as good as this movie is, it's got some pretty big flaws too. And it, I don't, I can see why they put it at number one. It just, to me, it says like DC's got a long way to grow. Like, there's a lot of things DC could do that are. It does, but here's the thing: Heath Ledger, like getting the posthumous uh, uh, Oscar and all that kind of stuff, was kind of. Um, seemed ham-fisted at the time yeah but if you watch this movie his performance legitimately like is off the fucking rocker like it is so good see and that's that's one of the things that for me at least um kind of carries this movie like there this movie has some amazing uh parts and there are things about it that are certainly good besides just heath ledger but if if you want to ask i think just about anybody like what's the favorite thing what's the best thing about the dark knight without a doubt it's going to be heath ledger's performance as the joker there's some gangster stuff happening in this movie that in any other movie you don't care about nearly as much as if the joker was there yeah as soon as the joker shows up though it's like oh okay all of a sudden that's interesting yeah um and you know this this definitely does deserve to be very very highly ranked you know i can't even necessarily argue it i'm not even sure what i'd put above its place it's just that um this movie does still leave some stuff on the table. Like there are some weird story elements in this movie that, that doesn't make it a perfect film. Um, I I don't disagree with that. It is pretty damn close. Like it is really, really good. Um, and and, you know, through no fault of Heath Ledger because he he legitimately did this movie came out. Well, it's what everybody thought a comic movie, comic book movie should be until the Avengers came out. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, well, I mean, Iron Man. They both have their place. I mean, uh, the, the Avengers, I think, and and the Dark Knight, I think, both have their place in the universe. And I think the big key here is the Dark Knight told a story that was very good and very unique to Batman and a very good way to tell a yeah. Batman story. What DC needs to get its head out of its ass about is that like it's not the aesthetic that worked. It's the fact that you told a good Batman story in a Batman movie. You cannot make every story a Batman story. You can make a, pop, a popcorn movie that's really good yeah you can make it just a fun movie like Bat- batman has to be toned down in most other properties and interactions with the you know the the, the justice league um because he can't just be broody and whiny all the time no batman can be tongue-in-cheek and it could be 
it's even really excellent. better when Batman's tongue in cheek because uh, it, it's like one of those it comes out of left field it's, sort of things. As long as the audience understands that it's Bruce Wayne stepping outside of his normal box to try and 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 be part of this cohesive team when he's not used to being a team member, then it's great. It, if if it's if it's campy like Schumacher did and like the Dozier series back in '66 did, then yeah, it's gonna be stupid. But See, I think the big thing is that this Bruce Wayne, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy Bruce Wayne, has to be, uh, you know, the super dark, broody character because that's like his whole MO. Like, he's dealing with regular humans, and the way that he does that is by scaring him, essentially, being this, you know, big, larger-than-life badass. But when you're sitting next to the Justice League, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, Batman's scary and all, and he's got batarangs and what have you, but when Superman throws a guy through three buildings, um, that that's just, you know, like, it takes the wind out of your sails a little bit, you know, just being broody about stuff, so. Yeah. Anyway, that 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 is, you know, we were, I thought we were going to go through and skip some yeah, of those we, movies. we spent but, a lot more time on that than yeah. we, we planned to, but, I mean, it was fun, fun stuff. so. Yeah. Uh, ten things we know about Arrow. Um, I didn't actually read this yet, and I, we're definitely not going to go through about this one. Um, but this is ten things we didn't know about season five this of Arrow. Is, this is also uh, a hero Hollywood story, um, yeah. as well. It's it's actually pretty good. Here's the thing: um, couple key points. So we're going to get Felicity in this season, but it's not going to be an allicity. And I, I fucking hate that I even said that word, but yeah, she's going to be important to the plot, but not the main focus of the plot. Uh, in this movie or in this season. So I think that's, that's good. Um, number 10, we already knew about, I'm not even going to go into that. You know, I think like if you weren't paying any attention to the show whatsoever, that these are all surprises, but so far I'm on to number five mm. and I have not heard anything new. Number nine is really exciting to me though, because we are going to see Curtis go full on Mr. Terri- Mr. Terrific, which I think we've been waiting for, for two seasons now. Yeah. So, uh, number four, I actually really like Laura Lance will be in the premiere in the hundredth episode. Yeah, that I yeah, I'm super excited about that because Katie Cassidy, she you know is who she is, the Cassidy son, Cassidy's daughter, David Cassidy's kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No clue until I I was reading that the other day. Like I had no idea that she was actually related. Partridge Family, David Cassidy. Yeah. Um, and when he's she first a big deal, he's a dick though. Like mm-hmm. apparently when she first kind of started into uh, her career, like he was totally against it, and they were estranged at the time and whatnot. So, um. Anyway, um, I like her better than him. Uh, we also know that the flashbacks are going to center more around his um, connection, Ollie's connection with the Bratva, which is good. Um, this is not on the list either, but we also know that this is the last season that's going to really center around flashbacks. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has to be. He he spent five years in flashbacks, and we've been going through them a year at a time, and we're on the fifth season. So unless he's going to flashback to flashbacks, like it doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, number three. Um, actually, I was on number six. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Mr. Terrific, we knew about, but Artemis, uh, Wild Dog, and Vigilante being the core kind of team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Artemis is kind of cool because she's semi-Wonder Woman related, and I'm, I'd am i like to see how they really go about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I caught that or did not catch that before, but that'll be interesting how they're going to link that. Either they're going to completely ignore it and give her an entirely different story, or that that's going to be for some interesting, uh, you know, crossing over, yeah. as it were. Um, number three, the show's going to be going back to its roots. Um, this is quasi-speculation, uh, but, you know, the hopeful part of me says, yes, please do. Please, kind please, of, God do. Kind of in a way, in a way, I hope not, because we've been there and done that. I would like to see the show evolve. I just want to see it actually evolve in a positive fashion and not like uh, Felicity and Friends fashion. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, number two, 
a new version of Prometheus will be the season five big bad. You know, I just, I don't know. This this picture doesn't really do it justice. Uh, whatever. I mean, we'll get there eventually. This is going to be less magic related than the Damien Dark origin. Here's here's what I'm excited about, though, is Manu Bennett is going to be back for the, the 100th episode as well. Ooh, that could be good. Uh, and that's the number one thing on the list here. Um, we also get uh, Robert Queen back, too, for the episode. But I don't care about him nearly as much as I care about Deathstroke and Manu Bennett. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, I really want that to happen. Is the 100th episode, is that going to be the, one of the crossovers? I don't know. I hope not. I'd have to look it up because there's a lot of reasons to have these other people in it. Laurel, yes. Well, like a lot of them you could though. Like there's, you know, it gives a lot more of them reason to be a thing that exists. Like if you're going to do it during the flashpoint sort of thing. Don't think it is because the episodes are 23 episodes a piece. And so we're already at like 96 right now or pretty close. Well, and the crossover is like going to be. Maybe, maybe, maybe right there. Yeah, the crossover is going to be like seven or eight, I think, uh, in this show. So that 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 actually would make a lot of sense to me. Why we're we getting some of these returns? Laurel came back and like wasn't dead anymore. I know she's not going to be series regular because she's got that contract with uh, Warner Brothers now, where she's a multi-series crossover yeah. star. Um, but there's just no reason we should have killed off the Black Canary, and they need to retcon that. Never, never should have killed her off. Yeah. Um, especially just to have her be dead and never have a black canary again. What were you thinking, Mr. Guggenheim? Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, all right. That's our talk about Arrow, except for we have one more piece of news, and that is um, this week uh, the CW Twitter uh, uh, posted a new trailer for Arrow Season 5, and I just didn't hate it. Like, I, I watched it, and I actually kind of liked it, and I was like, I you know, I don't know why they released that other trailer first, Please God, let this be that this is the thing we're getting, and that other trailer was like the worst example, like sort of with the the last Flash trailer that we talked about on the last show. It was a shit trailer, and that made me wonder what show I was watching. Um, this one it did the opposite thing for Arrow, which was like, wow, wow, I actually, I, I could, I kind of see myself wanting to watch that. Yeah, you actually tweeted about this, and I was like intrigued, but not quite intrigued enough to care. <laughs> I mean, that's fair with Arrow these days. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. The, the 10 things we know about this season, like, I'm going to tune in specifically for some of those. Um, number one, the return of Laurel, and I hope it's really Laurel and not the Black Siren or whatever. Yeah, and just give it, please let it be Laurel. <clears throat> um, So, yeah, that's that's Arrow news. And honestly, by the time we sit down and record next week, we will actually be able to tell you a little bit about what's going on because we'll have seen episode one. Yeah. Because Tuesday, sure. Tuesday and Wednesday are, are Flash Arrow nights next week, so yep, and we'll be done with Luke Cage then. So <laughs> it's that time of the year, folks. Um, all right, let's talk some Batgirl real quick. We got oh yeah, yeah, um, Batgirl, go for it. So what's the one thing we hate about Batgirl and the comic book? Go on, I, I, I'm not. I'm if you had to pick, cue. if you had to pick one thing out of that comic book that's just atrocious, what would it be? Art direction. Yep. Yeah. Art. Art. Um, so as of book six, uh, book six will be, uh, what's his name? I think it's, is it Raphael Albuquerque? I think is who's I doing no the, the art. Anyway, that's, that's his last book with, uh, Batgirl. He'll be bringing on a new, um, artist, a new penciler for, uh, book seven. He'll be missed. Um, no, here's the thing. Though, the, the artist they're bringing on though is like, I've got big shoes to fill the, this, that, and the other thing. Hopefully that's just lip service because you don't want to fucking dog your, yeah, you're, you're you don't want to be like that guy colleagues. got fired after six issues because, or you know, like three that got published because 
it's bad. Yeah. Um, but let's let's just say I'm I'm kind of looking forward to something new as far as the art and Batgirl, and that's that's where we will leave that. Yeah. Um, and then we have a villain for the big four part crossover between Supergirl, Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow, and that is the Dominators. And I know nothing about them. Me neither. Yeah, so this seems like it's going to be kind of a big deal because these are a multiverse level threat sort of thing. Um, you know, aliens from outer space and what have you, like they're kind of a big deal. So it, it gives a plausible reason for the, the, the team to be, you know, teamed up, so yeah. to speak. I mean, um, I, th- I think you kind of have to do something like this uh, to prevent having to bring in like the the really huge guns when it comes to multiverse stuff. Like, obviously, the first villain that comes to mind when I see multiverse is the anti-monitor and we haven't told that story nearly well enough to be able to get to that point yet so see and I really wanted to um, uh, have them do something like that like the anti-monitor and, and have them go into the multiverse and, and the reason I wanted them to do that is because I, I think there's a lot of ways that it could give them to retcon some of the crap that's happened in Arrow and, and just you know the less desirable parts of the shows which in Arrow it's much more prevalent but yeah. um, I, I thought the anti-monitor would be exactly the thing eventually eddie and i will actually put together a show where we talk specifically about crisis and the anti-monitor we did the interview with marv wolfman where we talked a lot about crisis and whatnot but uh we didn't get into a lot of the plot points of crisis and and kind of where it goes um that was the original intention behind uh interviewing marv but then he was like yeah i'll do the show and we're like what are a hundred other things we could ask him (laughs) yeah um yeah uh Definitely, like we we were, you know, I don't know. I really like Crisis. Crisis is pro- probably one of the penultimate to- comic it is, book stories. And, and to we me, make but... references to it quite a bit, so <clears throat> yeah. And and the, the, it's it fits this pretty well, but I can see why they're not going that direction. So, all right, um, miscellaneous. Yeah, we're gonna move on. Uh, we're gonna grab another beer, and then we're gonna talk a lot about Teddy Roxpin. Yep, we'll be back. Show and tell time. Another teddy bear. My teddy's name is Teddy Roxpin. He talks, he tells stories, he... Four batteries not included. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? Yeah. I really enjoy talking to people. I would like you... Teddy Ruxpin, the storytelling bear, comes with illustrated book and cassette from Worlds of Wonder. All right, we're back with um, the news you come to hear, probably. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, so if you're not 30, you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, but if you are, you were around in the late 80s, early 90s when animatronic toys were just kind of starting to come out. And the big appeal behind Teddy Ruxpin was he had a cassette deck in him. Um, and you put story story cassettes in there and he would actually read the book to you. Like his mouth would move along with the words on the cassette and whatnot. Um, I never had one. Neither did I. Uh, my brother it was had an way elf. too expensive of a toy for my family. My brother had the Alf version of the Teddy Ruxpin. Nice, um, it, which was creepy because it actually does move its mouth to words, and you could put like an Aerosmith cassette in there, and he would still like <laughs> sing along. That's a that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, like I I wish that was what this toy did. I don't think it's going to be what this toy did, but I wish you could just put a, a random recordings. Like, could you imagine? Our voices through Teddy Ruxpin, told told through the magic of a Teddy. We could Ruxpin, do entire podcasts yeah. and like record it onto a, a cassette or a flash drive. Or the new one uses a flash drive, I believe, yeah. or at least uh, flash uh, memory. My my daughter insists that we need to be on YouTube, and I told her like, yeah, we really got faces for radio, and but but if we had a Teddy Ruxpin doll, that we could, could have Teddy Ruxpin do <laughs> we the could show. Set up Teddy Ruxpins across from each other, Put the little cans on them. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's there's a new version coming out, and uh, like I alluded to, it has a four gig um, flash hard drive in it. Nice. So I, there's not really more more news to it than that, but that's just what's happening. I mean, it's a thing that exists in this universe right now, which is just funny. If you're old like us, it's funny. Yeah. Um, the next thing is a personal note to me because Eddie has no uh, idea who this guy is, but he's a good friend of mine who I went to high school with. Um, if you looked at the Nerdist News today, um, today being Saturday, October 1st, um, if you're hearing this later on in the week, you can always look at their archives and whatnot. Um, but NECA, uh, one of the big uh, nostalgia or uh, collectible toy makers that's out there right now, just released a um, an Incredible Hulk figure. Uh, it's the Age of Ultron Hulk figure. It is a quarter scale, which means this thing's over a foot tall. Um, in fact, I think it's over two feet tall. And um, one of my buddies that I went to high school with uh, here in little old Oregon uh, actually sculpted the... Uh, the mold for this like he he made this toy um and it's pretty fucking rocking it is 239 dollars if you want to buy one of your own um and you cannot display it in the package as it comes in a brown cardboard box so if you want to display it you got to open that thing yeah it looks amazing though like it's, i could it's th- this especially this... the detail around the mouth yeah yeah for sure like the the detail here is amazing uh matt showed me his his instagram you're gonna have to link me on that we'll put that in the show notes yeah uh but this guy's super talented like uh he 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 does some pretty amazing work and you'll see it i think immediately when you look at this uh it really manages to do a phenomenal job capturing um the likeness from from ultron uh which you know really is just kind of um God, what's his fucking name? Ruffalo. Uh, Mark yeah. Ruffalo's, uh, you know, likeness in Hulk form. So, uh, really well done. So, one of the things that doesn't get mentioned uh, in this is that uh, the, the sculptors that do these things, they, they don't get credit in a lot of these articles and whatnot. Um, this guy's name is Alex Heinke, and he is a really talented artist. I, I took art classes with him in high school, um, and it just goes to show it's not the company you keep. It's, it's an innate talent that you're born with, because I can't do shit anywhere near what he can do. Um, you know, it's a little of both. Like I, I, there are some things that like artistically I can do at a very, very most basically passable level. Like the sort of thing that like, if my, one of my kids did, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. But like as an adult, like, yeah, not really. Um, but there are guys like this that, you know, really manages to, you know, bring the, 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 the sort of features and things like that, the small bits that really make it a whole thing. Um, yeah, really cool. Really well done. This guy's been turning my head with his artwork for a lot of years. And there's a reason that, uh, that he has a job doing this stuff. Yeah. So, so just want to stress here. What's interesting about this is that Matt came across this completely organically. Like we're not doing some plug here for his friend's work, although it just happened to be a, a cool coincidence, but, uh, Matt came across this, I think, cause you, you read the Nerdist fairly regularly. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, I actually saw his, like he posted on Facebook several weeks ago when the, when the figure actually came out, he was like, Hey, I made this, you know, and I saw it through his feed and whatnot. And then, um, it's a NECA thing and I can't afford to buy those. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really give it much thought until I was, I was actually looking through cause the, the show notes were looking a little sparse when going into today's show. Um, and so I was looking at the Nerdist just to see if there was anything else in there that was new. And I was like, you know what? I've that's seen that figure awesome. before because I know the guy that made it. Yeah. So, um, that's why it's in here. Uh, Alex, excellent job, man. Uh, keep up the good work and, uh, someday I'll be able to, you know, 
buy something that you made. I just feel like this is one of those occasions where we finally know somebody famous enough they can get us free stuff. Nah, nah. I'm okay. not gonna. I'm not gonna use them like that. No, I, I, I wouldn't suggest dude. you do. Just <laughs> Alex, I don't know you very well. I'd use you for stuff. <laughs> All right, uh, maybe we'll just have him on the show and he can actually talk a little bit. No, about we, we talked about that before. Yeah, it'd be super good to have him on the show. Um, it'd be a Skype thing though, because we're in Oregon. He's now in. I, I believe he's in Jersey. So yeah, he'd probably be just hankering for some non-Jersey talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about Bill Hader. Yeah, that, that exactly. Uh, Bill Hader is going to play Alpha Five in the Power Rangers movie. Kind of excited about this Power Rangers movie. I'm not going to lie. Like this, this movie is going to be amazing. I really am. Um, so first off, when I came, when the first Power Rangers movie, like the Power Rangers movie, came out, I think it was maybe 13 or 14. And at the time, it was not exactly cool to go see the movie, but I still went and totally saw it. 13 um, or 14? I think so. You? Yeah. Like an age? Okay. Yeah. What else would it be? I thought you were talking about the year. I'm like, no, it's way older than that, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like it came out last year? No. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was 13 or 14, I think the Power Rangers movie came That's out. That's probably fair. And, and at that time, it was one of those sort of like open secrets. Like if you were talking to people at school, you'd be like, no, I don't watch Power Rangers. Because I was, Rangers, I was totally 17. I was 17 or 18, and I know I went and saw it in the theater. So. Yeah. Uh, so like definitely around that time. I remember Power Rangers being sort of like one of those like, uh, no, it's totally gay. I wouldn't do that. But if you're over at your friend's house and Power Rangers came on, nobody changed the channel. I was, I was, I was not that guy. I was always proud that I went to the Power Rangers movie. And you know what else I went and saw in the theaters? Spice World. Yep. Yeah. Not going to lie. saw it. Spice you know, World. Uh, you know I mean, who was hot? The Spice Girls. <laughs> See, I don't blame you for that one at all. Um, I don't even blame you for the Power Rangers movie. I think the Power Rangers movie was, uh, you know, sort of a campy. You know, it was a kids movie, but um, I had the biggest nerd heart on for Kimberly. Like, so so did I. So like, there was no stopping me from going to see that movie. But, but now she's in a show regularly. Don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, totally, totally. Uh, when I was a kid, I think that was probably why I was like, I don't even know why I like this, but oh, the pink ranger's back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? Her replacement though, Kat from Australia, she wasn't that bad looking either. Like she was, I have no clue. Yeah. I lost track a little bit of Power Rangers after like the original cast with some exception. Like I think once the red ranger left, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I, so I watched, I watched the Power Rangers show. I watched the original show all the way up through, like the movie came out, and then after that is like right when they did like the cast change, and so some of the guys were there and some of them weren't. Uh, I think Tommy stayed on because he came back as the White Ranger. He was gone for a while, but then he was the White Ranger. That was before the first movie. Um, and then uh, wasn't he the White Ranger in the movie? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, they did the Turbo, the Power Rangers movie, and it was that point in time where I kind of lost track of the show. And here's the thing: they're all on Netflix. Mm-hmm. like i could probably watch them all and they're in my queue it's just like i haven't because i'm like i'm 38 now and i'm like they, they don't really hold up dude no here's uh, the thing my kids watch them sometimes and it's like oh, the original shows good. though i still like watching and I, I do too but i mean that's just pure unadulterated nostalgia what, what's amazing though is i have a four a 10 and a 12 year old so i could totally get away with it <laughs> if I could get them to fucking sit down and watch it. Yeah. I, I feel that way about a lot of stuff. Like, I try to get my kids to watch Disney, old Disney movies. Uh, and when I say old, I mean, like, 1995. Like, I try to get them to watch, like, The Lion King and shit like that. Yeah. And they're like, no, this is stupid. I can't watch this. Yeah. Um, I, I was a little pissed off at my son because he loved the freaking new Ghostbusters movie, the 2016 movie. And he's watched that, like, 19 times. But he still... He keeps trying, though, so I'll give him a little bit of credit. He hasn't been able to sit through the original Ghostbusters the entire time. But it's so amazing. Bill Murray, fucking Harold Ramis, Danny Aykroyd. See, I think 
I think that uh, the humor is a little bit more. The the humor, I think, in um, both movies is not particularly highbrow, but I think in the 2016 adaptation, it's just a little bit more juvenile in a lot of places, and he gets it. Like, there's a lot more big, flashy shit, and just one of the things my kids are totally effects whores. Like, if there's not, like, you know, like, they totally see this old movie, and it might as well be like they're trying to watch some black, like Casablanca or something like that. They act like it's, like, the worst thing in the world. Bill Murray's humor, though, is a little bit highbrow, just in terms of his delivery, because he's so dry, and it's just amazing. And then, like... Oh, like, uh, uh, dickless over here, shut off the containment field. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love it. And and then the dynamic between Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, like, just their on-screen presence, their chemistry together on-screen is fucking amazing. Like, those two. The whole movie, I mean, the whole movie is just glorious. Like... When somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. You know, like yeah. I love, I love that whole scene, the delivery of the lines. I don't know. The whole movie is just is just fantastic. So. No, I'm a huge fan. Did you see the the homage in the new Ghostbusters uh, to uh, Harold Ramis? Yes. I think we might have talked about it last time on the show. We did. A little we bit. definitely did. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I did. I like that, that too. Was good. Um, so we watched another movie this week, though. We did. Um, that movie would be a Star Trek Beyond. So here's the thing. I really liked it. So did I. Um, it's, I think, the first one of the franchise that was written by somebody that truly understands the property. Um, and maybe not necessarily the original series as much, because a lot of the dialogue that was written um, was more so like stuff that they didn't really think about writing into the stuff until like Next Generation. Yeah. I, I think I texted you something to that effect. Like you can tell, because Simon Pegg wrote a good portion of the movie. Like you can tell, he really has an appreciation for the um, the next gen stuff. Case in point, and probably the most prominent thing is when they're talking about how they can't get the transporter signal through the the barrier at the enemy base, and he's like, "Oh, we'll just take these as pattern enhancers." Like they yeah. didn't do that stuff until next gen, so you know that's something that he watched at one point. Yeah, yeah I love um, that. Gave me a big nerd boner, but also this movie is just really fun. Uh, you know, so far these all have all been super enjoyable to me. There is still like this is not a great movie to me. Like there's still a little, little bit of something that's missing in here. But this gets closer. Like this is definitely more along the lines of what I want to see from a Star Trek movie. This is the closest thing to an actual episode of Star Trek that I think the new movies have gotten to. And let's face it, this was a TV show first. They made movies later on, and the movies were were relatively successful for them. But like this is the first one of the movies. Um, of the new timeline that I think really feels like a Star Trek episode to me and not a cinematic, uh, attempt generic blockbuster with spaceships sort of things. That's kind of been my main criticism of the, um, the, the reboot. And I think most, most Star Trek fans main criticism of the reboot is it does feel a little generic Hollywood blockbuster to me. And, uh, this still has some of those elements. This gets a little closer. It's not quite all the way there yet. Um, there's, you know, some things that I would like to see done a little bit better. You know, when you were saying like Simon Pegg wrote most of this movie, I think actually that's somewhat controversial because I think this movie was originally supposed to be written by Robert Orkey who uh, left the project or was asked to leave the project at some point throughout. Yeah, essentially. I kind of got the feeling this is like when you say when you say like Quantum of Solace was written uh primarily by like Daniel Craig and whoever else, you know, because that was all during the writer strike and what have you. I kind of get the feeling this is the same sort of situation the difference being that Simon Pegg can actually write. Uh, and as a science fiction fan himself, like even if it's not Star sure. Trek, which he is a Star Trek fan, but like 
he understands the genre a lot better than anybody that you could just, hey, I'm going to pay you to come in and write the script. Like, show me your spec. Like, let's see what you got. Yeah. This guy actually understands what he's writing. Yeah. So there was a lot of things in this movie that were pretty cool. There was a couple of, like, cringingly awful things, though. Like, one of the things that really bug- bugged me was when they were trying to get the Franklin off the ground. And they were like, oh, no, we got to fall off this cliff. And yeah. then the... Okay, so we're going to fall off this cliff, and these engines that weren't strong enough to actually just lift us up are now strong enough to repel all of the force of us falling down. Yeah, and like then they had lift to us reach terminal velocity before they could, yeah. the, the, the it's not how thrusters that, could kick in. Yeah, that's not how that works. Plus, they hit every fucking rock on the way down the mountain, so they're never going to reach <laughs> no. terminal velocity. But, no, you no. know, that, that part was a little like. That's uh, the science nerd. That was, that was definitely a little. Us. Like, for Star Trek, okay, so Star Trek exactly hasn't ever been hard sci fi. But, but they've tried. That's the stuff. That's the stuff that I'd like to see less of. Like they at least try to the explain their are... science, even though it doesn't exist in any reality that we've ever known. They at least try and make up some like, some kind of explanation for it. And in that one, they're just like, "Yeah, let's just fall." Yeah. Um, see, like, but I guess when I say you know, like they make up shit all the time. Like transporters, obviously, is a whole made up thing. Like we MacGuffins is a, almost I think a, a term described or, or made to describe Star Trek stuff because like the whole pattern enhancer thing is a pretty clearly obvious MacGuffin, and you know, but that's fine. I'm fine with that because that's a well established thing within Star Trek canon. But yeah, some of the, when they do some of the things like that that are just so cringingly, like well. And here's the other like, They part. still have physics in this universe. Like, right. it's not like a superhero movie. Yeah. It's a class M planet, meaning it's basically Earth with different continents. Yeah. Um, here's the other cringy part about it. And this is and this is not an insult because, I, I, like I said, I still really enjoyed the movie. But so once they get the Franklin off the ground, they're hurtling through the nebula. Yeah, uh, with sensors nowhere near advanced as the Enterprise had. Yeah, and uh, the Enterprise to struggled to get in. Yeah, uh, but also they had no plan. They're just like, well, let's go chase the bad guy who's going to release this thing, and we have no idea how to fight him because we're in a ship that's fucking from the nineteen. Like, if we're looking at technology now, like this ship is the nineteen fifties compared to where we're at right now. It's like taking a fucking horse and buggy to like the Fast and the Furious, and, like, and this enemy has already ripped the Enterprise to shreds. Like within twenty minutes of this movie, there's no Enterprise. Yeah, see, so that was another Spoilers. thing that it was almost like an homage to previous Star Trek incarnations because we we've wrecked the Enterprise a couple of times now. Uh, so I, that that part didn't bother me, but yeah, the, the definitely the end sequence bothered me because it's like. Why? I mean, like, we saw the Enterprise get shredded, like, no contest shredded against these bad guys. And then uh, they, uh, at the the penultimate scene, that why didn't they just do that? Like, they could have, the bad guys could have just done that. And so that was kind of uh, distracting to me that they, they left that hole open. Yeah. Um, we did, a couple of redeeming things about this movie, though, happened toward the end. And and when I say redeeming, don't get me wrong. This this still was not a bad movie. No, it's a fun movie. Um, fun movie. I, I definitely enjoyed it. There wasn't there was not enough that I was like, oh god, what are they doing? Um, we get to see the Enterprise A being christened or yeah. being built, which I thought was amazing. Um, but the other thing too was Idris Elba was the bad guy, Crawl, in this movie, and I thought that was a waste through most of the movie because he was covered in so much makeup and whatnot. But then toward the end, you actually get to see Idris Elba. Um, and I'm not gonna go into like the actual. Uh, yeah, let's leave that spoiler out. The, the, yeah, I'm not going to spoil the actual end of the movie, but you do get to see him a little bit. Um, and I thought that that sequence was really well done. Here's the thing, though, that I liked about this movie um, more than the other two movies. I'm not saying it's better than the other two movies, but this is 
these are these are key points that I thought were better. The relationship between Bones and Spock develops that, a little that bit was more amazing, yeah. than you've seen before. Kind of a la like Star Trek uh four after he comes back, after Spock comes back from the dead and, and Bones is trying to relate with him again. Yeah. And whatnot. Um, and then you also get to see a little bit more Scotty. Obviously, that's because Scotty wrote the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, well, I didn't no, think I... it was. I didn't think it was over the top. Like I wrote this movie, so now my character is the lead in it. Although he did get the girl, and that was that was pretty <laughs> cool because Kirk usually gets the girl, and this time the the little white headed chick was totally with. Scotty I actually the kept whole time. waiting for that. I was like, well, he's hey, she's hanging out with Scotty. I mean, I guess I guess that's fine until they, Kirk fucks her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kirk's gonna show up and bang her. But other than that, you know, no problem. Um, but yeah, no, actually, I was pretty impressed that a they didn't go that route because it was a little like that. That would have been the stereotypical like uh, you know last age way to do things, and they didn't ever go that direction with the character. So I was pretty pleased by that. Um, but there was some you know. I don't, I don't know the the I actually didn't think you know Simon Pegg having a large writing credit I didn't think his place was really any more out uh, than anything else here I, I think it, as far as getting the shaft goes Ahura was kind of useless for this whole movie Zoe Saldana got uh, less screen time than she has in the past yeah. um, in this movie and that was kind of a shame because honestly her Uhura is to me, the better Uhura than any other ones that we've seen, even Nichelle Nichols, who, granted, groundbreaking, first interracial kiss on TV, I get it, but as far as character development, like, we actually understand this Uhura better than we've understood any yeah. other Uhura before. I think that's probably fair, too. Um, and, honestly, I love Zach Quinto as Spock. Yeah, he does an amazing job, I think. But I think we're getting a little Spockish. And everything now, I did love the the photograph that it showed at the end of of all of uh, the uh, original cast in there. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice homage. And in fact, by the time that this movie, you know, before this movie was actually finished, um, uh, Nemo had died. Nemo had died. Nemo. Nemo had died. And uh, I thought there were some pretty nice nods to that too. Yeah, yeah, there was. And. Which I think is, I, I don't know that we would have gotten as much Spock as we did had that not happened. Um, not because he's not important, but I think it's just, uh, I I enjoyed. See, this one actually I had no problem with because this movie was a little less Spock heavy, I thought, than, than it the was, previous. It was less so than the previous. I just, he's not the only good piece about this movie. To me, honestly, the standout actor in this movie and our series of movies is Carl Urban because he's such a good bones. Like he does so well at looking at what, um, a divorce Kelly did as bones in the original series and emulating that on the screen. <laughs> like, I, I don't think we got it until this movie. Did we? No, actually, we may have. But when when they're transporting him, they're like, "Oh, you're gonna go do the thing with Spock," and he's like, "Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not." A... And then he and then flashes boom. away. Yeah, that was pretty perfect. Yeah, no, I I think he does amazing. I also think that um, uh, what's his nuts as Kirk, Chris Pine, Chris Pine. Um, I I think he does really good too, and. The movie them the movies themselves have done a really good job at, at portraying his kind of uh, evolution as Captain James Kirk um, through throughout because this movie he looked a bit more ragged and a little older and obviously so because the first one came out in in two thousand nine which means they were filming in two thousand seven probably so we're almost yeah. nine years out from the original movie mm-hmm. um, and he's 
looking older now. He was real super young and crisp looking in the first movie, and now he's like, it. what are they, three years into the five-year mission when this movie starts out? And he's kind of like, eh, another day, we're just hurtling, hurtling through space. This is so boring. Yeah. Riding my state-of-the-art spaceship, meeting all these cool things. Yeah, yeah. that was a little stupid, I thought. I'm, I I'm like, done getting jumped on by weird dog aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Kirk, Kirk clearly having a bad day at the entry of the movie. Yeah, it was, but it it gets better. It, this I can't complain about this movie too much. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll say I, overall, this movie had some similar uh, qualities that the other movies had, and some similar faults. Like, I didn't get to see it in the theaters, and I wish I had. Like that's yeah, this that, is, this that is I one agree movie with, that, that I'm just I like, totally man, I, I wish I'd seen this in the theater because I didn't get to. But I'm happy I got to see it uh, now. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, I, I'd say we both recommend seeing Star Trek Beyond yeah, if absolutely. you haven't already. If absolutely. you're a Star Trek fan at all, you're probably going to enjoy it. It's a fun movie. If yeah. you're not a Star Trek fan, it's still a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- that's what these movies, I think, do particularly well. Like, they manage to be good movies. In fact, that's probably my main criticism of the series so far is that it's the... the it's, it's less Trek. It's much less Trek. This movie, though, does bridge that gap uh, a little bit. I think I, so. I hope, I hope we get a little bit further with the next movie. Um, and, and, and you know they could make five of these. I would be fine. Chris Pine is already doing. Uh, they're in. They're in production. I think on on the fourth one now. Great. Um, yeah. He's the only one that I know of for sure that's in production. I know uh, Zach Quinto was kind of reticent about coming back, but I think after uh, after Into Darkness, I think he renegotiated and they did. They got him for two more movies, so I think he's in for at least the fourth as well. Cool. Um, That'd be weird if I, I think if they started to break the band up and you know still made a fifth. It'd so be, it'd be if, hard if, if they did not... another one without the rest of them. Yeah, I don't know how many they people would come Next back. Generation. They did a couple movies in Next Generation where they didn't have everybody in it. Yeah, um, but then for Nemesis, they got uh, Wesley Crusher back, which was dumb because that was n- not dumb that they got him back, but that was like the worst movie possible to bring <laughs> yeah. him back to. And they're yeah. like, hey, he's in here for this, and this movie sucks. Yeah, pretty much. But, Tom right. Hardy. I mean, come on. Yeah, that that's actually really funny, actually, because <laughs> people do not realize like that is one of Tom Hardy's like uh, breakout roles. I yeah. Think. All right, so TV's talk. Let's talk some TV. Um, Let, let's this, talk th- about Gotham for just a few minutes. We're yeah, not going to spend say, too much time because Eddie hasn't is, watched it this season. This is where our Gotham discussion would go if uh, I had watched the show so far. So here's the thing. Um, I thought the first episode of the season was really strong. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned the last episode that Gordon is kind of a bounty hunter now. Uh, not operating as a cop. He's definitely not part of the force uh, following the events of the end of season two. But uh, so he's kind of chasing down Hugo Strange's uh, experiments and whatnot. Um, Not a lot happens in this episode that's significant other than Penguin puts out like a million dollar bounty on Fish Mooney. Spoilers. She comes back at the end. Yeah, we said we talked about it. it's, It's in the finale last season. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, it was a welcome change for me. Like I was kind of ready to see her go when she went in the first season, but then when she came back, like I didn't hate it. Uh, the thing that you find out in this season though, is that she's dying because of the, uh, they spliced, I don't know, fucking puffer fish DNA with her or something. It's not puffer fish, it's <laughs> cuttlefish. Yeah, that is actually her scary superpower is when, when she's threatened, she puffs up two, yeah. three times her size. Yeah, it's cuttlefish DNA, I think, is what they spliced in um, and whatnot. But she's she's not doing so hot. And so that's her main goal is to find somebody that can fix her. Um, 
the doll maker we've already had doll maker haven't we no yeah because yeah, that was did. that last we season did. yeah yeah definitely that's that's actually how fish mini got all fucked up yeah. that's how she got her multicolored eyes but yeah. uh so the big thing that happens in this episode though is is gordon meets this reporter who's pretty relentless and whatnot um vicky vale this, her name is vale but it's not vicky oh that's tricky <laughs> um but uh and then you also see um ivy ivy gets in a little bit of trouble because she finds fish mooney's uh gang because selena's kind of working with them a little bit mm-hmm. um and then they chase her down and she falls into this pit of chemicals seems a little dce right mm-hmm. and that's the last thing you see of ivy in season uh or in episode one uh the only thing of note that happens in episode two really is that uh, they do track down Fish Mooney and Penguin has his moment with her and lets her go. Well, that's interesting. Because she has a little speech with him where she's like, I always knew that you were cut out for more and blah, blah, blah. And that's why I hated you, whatever. And he <laughs> lets her go. The other thing is Ivy comes back. She comes out of the harbor. Um, Only she's all grown up now. So whatever she fell into, uh, we're supposed to believe, has turned her into uh, an, an adult. And basically, I think this was Fox in the in the behind the scenes going, so here's the deal. Selena's 17 now, so people can kind of want to fuck her. But Ivy's really little, and it's creepy if people want to fuck her. So now you have to make her older. Yeah, I think the thing, too, is like they can't really meaningfully get to Poison Ivy with a kid. Like No. Like, because she can't be slutty. Uh, yeah you know you like you, that that's a um reductive way of putting it i guess but that that's not wrong like one of the things about poison ivy is she typically is sort of like she's hot she, she's hot she's seductive like she uses that uh uh, uh you know as a thing um, and pheromones you know that helps pheromones and whatever but but that is typically a characterization she has like she she is like it's not just the pheromones thereafter yeah so i'm not a fan of necessarily uh their method of going about this but i am gonna say that the actress that they have hired to be ivy going forward um uh, not a bad choice she's she's a decent looking gal um she can act and i guess that's all you need at this point yeah so all right that was not that was spoiler light i would say yeah i didn't want to spoil too not much good. of it for you not bad. there's more stuff that goes on it's not exactly one of the shows that i was like i'll murder you like if you tell me what happens in the next episode of luke no, cage and i and i hope we're not you gonna get to it. 57 here right but. <laughs> i hope you watch it but uh yeah no i i'm sure i will it's just luke God, Gotham is, is still is like week. when yeah so th- th- this is rough because luke cage is this week uh i don't know if i'll be able to finish it tomorrow i probably will Monday, I got kind of open. Maybe, maybe I'll get. I was going to try and finish it either tonight or tomorrow because I was planning on being like up to episode ten by the time. Yeah, uh, we aired, but the problem is, is that Netflix broke today. So yeah, um, and then of course Tuesday I work and we'll be back with the Flash and and Arrow, and I I gotta watch this. We, we gotta so. finish Luke Cage before that happens. Oh, there, there's no question. I will certainly have finished Luke Cage before the Flash airs. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit of S.H.I.E.L.D. real quick before we jump into Luke Cage, because that's going to be the last topic of, of the evening. Uh, so S.H.I.E.L.D., Ghost Rider still around. Uh, we get we talked about this earlier. We got Daisy as uh, full-on Quake. Yeah. I but, super like... The, okay, there's a lot of things. This this so far, we're only two episodes in, so it, it, uh, 
we're only two episodes in, so I'm taking a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. But number one, I super really like uh, how they're doing Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider looks awesome. Yeah. Quake, you know, Daisy Quake looks awesome. Um, even some of the changes they're they're making with the dynamics of Shield seem interesting to me so far. Where I'm concerned, or where I'm I'm not so sure I'm on board is um, the new director. Well, the new director is interesting or sort of weird to me, but also like just general, like them going with the whole like ghosty supernatural. And the reason why I'm not sure about this is because they could easily, I think, explain this with some sort of technological I whatever. Think this is alien tech. Yeah, not not ghosty stuff, but uh, yeah, I I get where you're where you're coming from. But it feels a little like when when Arrow like watching the first bit of Arrow when they're like, oh, it's magic, and I was like, well, maybe it's not really magic. Maybe they're doing something, and then it's like, no, it's like just straight up fucking magic, and that was kind of bullshit. Uh, so See, I didn't find I th- that necessarily bullshit. I just thought that they didn't approach it right, and they didn't treat the Damian Dark character with as much respect as they probably should have. Especially well, they didn't going- treat anything with as much respect as they no, probably should. No, and going through the the, the trouble of bringing. Uh, Matt Ryan in to do Constantine, especially in that one episode where they really tried to explain like the this is the Damian Dark is powerful, but this is why he's powerful and this is kind of the origin of it. They went through a lot of trouble just to throw it away. Oh yeah. It's just fuck fuck arrow sometimes. Just fuck it. But anyway, yeah. we're talking about Shield. <laughs> Yeah. Um, hopefully they don't do that because this really seems grounded in science. Um, especially because you got Fitz and Simmons both kind of focused on the box. Yeah. Um so far the this this seems right up I mean, it, it it's a little bit other way for me. Like, I think that I've got a little arrow PTSD, like, um, because there was some of that, like, there's a little bit of a shift, I think, this season in tone so far, and uh, for better or worse, and, you know, going with a completely different, like, they're, they're getting out of the, you know, fantastic scientific realm and getting into more of, like, the mystical arts sort of shit. So, like, having just come off of Arrow, where that was a completely stupid, you know, un- in almost inarguable inarguably dumb choice um i'm a little reticent about it but uh i'm still watching and i'm still definitely going to watch the next show probably on tuesday when it comes out so so here's the thing maybe i i have a little bit of an advantage because i didn't actually finish this show throughout the season last year i I finished it just last week before the new one came out yeah um so for me it's actually a pretty cohesive storyline uh following the events of, of the end of last year and whatnot. Um, and I think that the box is going to be explained in much more profound detail than what like, we got in Arrow. I think probably stuff. more 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 um, in line with themes that we've already been introduced to in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Exactly. Um, Although I don't know how Robbie Reyes is going to fit into that because I don't think that they're going to explain that away with some like uh, sciencey bullshit. Like, no, because he's not science based. You, you totally... cannot do that with Ghost Rider. Yeah, he's he. You can't, and I, th- which I think is a bold step for the uh, for the show. I think, uh, but I'm okay with that because once they started with the Inhuman stuff, which also isn't. Like it's loose science, but it's not like science science. You it's know what quite. I mean? a, it's quite a. It, it's not too well. You know, it's made up. I guess <laughs> the thing is, is they're not taking um, completely illogical steps from the where the MCU has gone so far. Um, the, you know, like uh, Ghost Rider and the series we've gotten so far is a little bit different than we've gotten from the MCU. Uh, but you know, like we're comic book fans, we're familiar with this kind of shit already, so yeah. it's not that shocking or anything like that. Um, I mean, we're talking about shows based on superheroes and shit, so I mean, yeah, we're not. But I just mean when when we went with Inhumans and stuff in in Shield previously, like that wasn't too much of a stretch for me because we'd kind of been introduced to some of the elements and the ways that they introduced that uh through the mcu already 
And that's um, really how they're approaching this too, because Daisy automatically assumes that Ghost Rider isn't inhuman. And he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not like you." Yeah, and, you know. So, and we've also kind of established in the MCU and the other movies that, and you know, properties that not everything is, um, you know, like there's we different origins. We do have like, Thor. We're building the uni- <laughs> We're building the universe essentially with this a little bit, and, yeah. and uh, that's fine. So, like, go for it. We have Thor, and we have Loki, and we have aliens coming from other planets and whatnot. So, I think yeah. I think they can they, they'll do fine. I just don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Daredevil is the closest we've gotten with uh, like a supernatural sort of. Uh, weirdness with the, with hand. the hand, yeah. Um, uh, but you know that's fine. If if it's working in Daredevil, I think Shield can do it, and they can get a little bit more extravagant with it because um, if, if Shield a... def- is definitely just more fantastical than the other one is. Yeah, if there's a comic book company that knows how to kind of balance the this is your science fictiony type superheroes versus your magic superheroes and whatnot like it's marvel yeah we got dr strange coming out i was gonna say we're and we're integrating a whole new element with like, dr strange like we're this, a month and a half away from dr strange and you can fucking you better believe that we're gonna be sitting right here on the show after having seen dr strange because this is one of the few marvel movies that my wife's like I don't give a shit about this movie and i'm like well that's cool because i'll just go watch it with eddie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty much um, yeah, my wife doesn't care except for, I don't know, she might have a little bit of a thing for Benedict Cumberbatch, even though she doesn't know anything. Uh, she's one of the Cumberbitches, huh? <laughs> I don't know. She she does seem to enjoy his performances, uh, although I can't get her to watch it, like even all of Sherlock, so whatever. Really? Because, I, I mean, I haven't finished it, but that's an amazing show. It is really, really good. Um, so anyway, anything you want to talk about, S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're an hour and 48 in. We're going to spend another hour on this. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. Um, so I am now, uh, as of tonight's recording, four episodes into uh, Netflix's newest property, uh, Cohabitating with Marvel, um, a Luke Cage. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record. Lucas Freeman, as some might call him. Lucas Lucas Freeman. Or, or Luke, Luke Freeman. Or, no, or Carl Lucas or yeah. whatever. You know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record as saying he was only three episodes in when we got here, and I was like, you know what, we got all night. Let's let's sit down yeah, and watch episode four because that has to happen before we sit down. And I'm not wrong, and I'm super grateful because um, that was a really good episode, as all of them have been. Like, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong, I really so- enjoyed Daredevil. I really enjoyed this season two of Daredevil and Jessica Jones, but Jessica Jones didn't hook me quite the way that Luke Cage was or has, and I didn't know anything about either of them. Uh, before these two properties, really. Marvel's done a, a, a spectacular job at making us care about Luke Cage. Now, granted, here's the thing. We we got none of Jessica Jones in Daredevil Season 1. So when Jessica Jones came out, this was just brand new. There was no theoretical link between the two. That stuff all had to be um, done on the fly, so to speak. With Luke Cage, we had Luke Cage in Jessica Jones, and so we kind of already had an understanding of his character, at least a little bit. I mean, yeah, but... I mean, But, it, we, but the we, way we, the show starts out, yeah, that's... You don't necessarily know. You don't... I mean, you, you get almost borderline cameos of Luke Cage in, in Jessica Jones. Um, he was pretty prominent toward the end, but... Uh, yeah. The thing the thing about this is, is that uh, he watched the first episode before I did, and he did. And uh, I was texting him when I was starting it out because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm all excited. I'm primed. I'm ready to go for some superhero shit. And like the first 10 minutes, I'm like, it, it all takes place in a barbershop. And I'm like, so when does Eddie Murphy come in and play every character? Like, that's <laughs> like, or, and, and Cedric. Cedric the Entertainer was in there. Um, 
but then like it it really is just that first 10 minutes is really barbershoppy yeah and then after that it's like oh okay now i see where we're going and this is not in hell's kitchen like the the previous uh two series that netflix has done um daredevil and jessica jones both take place in hell's kitchen luke has since relocated from hell's kitchen to harlem and that's that's kind of an ongoing theme throughout this this particular show so that's actually one of the things that I really like and one of the things that I like about uh Marvel in general um whereas DC will take um it make make up its own cities in most of the cases like you know uh Batman's from Gotham, Superman's from Metropolis, you know, Liberty City not Liberty City but um Star City etc. Yeah. Um Marvel's you know just based out of New York most more often than not. Uh, right. Uh, and I really love the way that they give flavor to New, New York City. Like, I, I kind of feel like in the um, Daredevil, Spider-Man, uh, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage now, like, they all take place in, in New York. And they all sort of make New York interesting, like like another character yeah. almost. You know? Yeah. So, so the- especially in this one with Harlem. Harlem, I think, probably, when you say Harlem to most people, they have some sort of uh idea of, uh, and and what that's about and uh i think that this move this show uh helps that stand out a little bit more and sort of makes it its own thing yeah and what eddie's alluding to with this the the regional locations and stuff like that is with marvel like it really is like if you're not from new york you're from anywhere in canada <laughs> um minus yeah. the minus the couple exceptions of like there was the uh west coast avengers for a while and mm-hmm. there was the even lesser known Great Lakes Avengers. <laughs> yeah. But nobody cares about those. Um, no. And then for a while, the X-Men under the uh, watchful eye of Cyclops relocated from Westchester to San Francisco. Um, but that was really it. Yeah. Like, the and all of them still originated from New York <laughs> at yeah. one point. So, or Canada. Like, yeah. And, and it really is that, like, specifically New York City or anywhere in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of just one place. Yeah, basically. Yeah, uh, the, the entire you know like northern gigantic portion that's you know uh, just about the size of the United States. That it, except it's kind of bigger, bigger, isn't it? bigger. Yeah, it's actually, bigger. I think you're right. It's just a lot of it is tundra, so you can't yeah. really do anything. But yeah, there's like this habitable habitable strip at the bottom, and then just a bunch of frozen wasteland. Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, I, I I like that. Um, they, they I think the show does a good job of of uh, further. You know, we we've just come from Hell's Kitchen, which is not altogether dissimilar from Harlem, but it it still is different enough that it feels like a different place to me. Like this is actually one of the things that I really liked about uh, Batman vs Superman is that they got Gotham right. Um, th- and Metropolis, yeah, and so Metropolis, to speak. yeah, yeah, uh, even more so. You know, the TV show Gotham. One of the things that I really love about it is Gotham City the unsung hero in the show um gotham city in gotham really feels like what i i believe gotham city should feel like yeah and gotham the show honestly like when i look at it like it looks like it takes place in the 70s like because there's no clothing that would indicate that it's modern times and every vehicle that you see is like a it's like a beater like it's an old 1974 fucking ford Yeah, yeah like it doesn't matter but anyway with luke cage um it definitely takes place in modern times. Like you get that, like kind of right up front. Yeah. Uh, what's amazing though, before we get into anything like episodic or anything, the musical direction in this in this series is fucking phenomenal. Oh, I love it. 
Um, in fact, I think I tweeted about this, like as I was watching probably through episode two, uh, just fantastic. Like they do some amazing things with music. Um, you know, the first couple of episodes take place in not, you know, primarily, but at least in, in small part in a, um, in a club, in a club in Harlem. And so the music that they managed to get in that is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, Matt and I were, that theme does not stop by the way. Good. At least I'm I'm through episode seven and it it's. I, I'm really glad because that that I really enjoyed. Um, like as I was watching it, I was like, man, tapping my foot. That solid, solid. Yeah. And then of course, you know, when we get to one of the the badass scenes, I think in in uh, episode three. Um, how spoiler do we want to get on this? Just so we're clear, I, I, mean, I don't, don't think I'm, I'm not going to spoil everything. anything. I mean, I I think we'll the most stuff we'll probably spoil will be in the episode four section because we just watched that and i was blown away by a lot of it and i don't think we can really talk about it without spoiling stuff but um yeah let's we don't have to spoil much but the wu-tang uh, is where you're going with this I know yeah it is. it is for sure <laughs> the wu-tang clan when when uh enter the shallon comes on like shit goes down and and that is so good it, the the best part too was like i so i watched episode one after eddie had um but i was able to marathon like the three episodes right in a row and i i had texted eddie and i was like I was like loving the Wu-Tang in episode three. And he was like, uh, I'm 30 minutes in or however far in you were to the episode. And like right then he was like, never mind. There it is. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think I set down my phone and then Luke picks up his headphones and I was like, (gasps) and then I hear some Wu-Tang and I'm like, Oh, it's going down. And like, I text him back like immediately like, Oh yeah. Yeah. This is where it is. It it's kind of like an unwritten rule with these Netflix Marvel series that like by episode two or three you have to have a fucking balls to the wall the chain just, yeah. fucking fight scene like ridiculous. With Daredevil, it it almost has to be episode two. Episode two, yeah, yeah. Episode because there two. was there was the uh, the hallway scene in the first season, and then there was the the fucking hotel scene and the uh, stairs, the stairs, yeah, yeah, the stairs in in season two. Uh, of course, now Daredevil with I think episode eight had another you know just absolutely balls to the wall. Was that the Frank Castle in the diner? Yeah, the Punisher. Yeah. The, well, actually, oh, I no, guess that was the prison, huh? Because the prison yeah. was the one I was thinking about, but the diner is actually pretty badass too. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got some shit like that coming with Luke Cage for sure. Um, but yeah, oh gosh, so musical direction in this is phenomenal. Like the the soundtrack on this is going to be like a must purchase. Like, uh, what's crazy is this is not music that I would listen to as a standalone before i watch this like because i'm not into hip-hop really that much uh i i'm smart enough that as soon as i heard the opening beats to the the episode three i was like oh that's wu-tang yeah you know but so, like this is really funny because when i was a kid growing up like i i was really into hip-hop i had a cousin who i really liked that was really into rap and stuff like that so i was listening to like a lot of rap music until about the time that i i, I became a freshman in high school and then of course i went to traditional white boy rock i still see him around town sometimes yeah um <laughs> so i was listening to a lot of rap at that time and i actually really enjoyed it like but when i say like the stuff that i had you know to listen to uh, um you know like he was listening to probably Pac and biggie and a lot of other guys like that and and some of that i could listen to but like i was a kid so i wasn't allowed to listen to it all all but like i remember like at that time um you know like that was when i first got into will smith like i knew will smith as a rapper before i i think i knew him as a tv show actor um you know person well everybody did yeah everybody I mean... did <laughs> except for you know i mean that this generation doesn't but like yeah at that time at that time uh if you knew will smith it 
probably was because you knew him either from the Fresh Prince or because like Independence Day had just come out or something like that. Yeah. Um. It, but like uh, Will Smith, Wu, uh, not Wu Tang a little bit. Like I got a little bit into Wu Tang when I was a kid. Uh, Tribe Called Quest. Uh, damn, Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, I've heard you talk about them quite a few. Quite um, a few times. Gosh, what else? So much good stuff in that that whole era. Um. You know, there's a couple of artists that I know I'm forgetting that I really want to remember. Like, I want to say I got a soundtrack from something and that had, like, just basically the best of the late 80s, early 90s hip-hop scene. And uh, that that probably, I wish I could remember what it was because it's just gold from start to finish. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so at that time I was listening to a lot of that. And uh, I kind of got out of that for a really long time. And then, actually, relatively recently I've started listening to some more rap occasionally it's only because i made you watch straight out of compton oh no wait you I still haven't it. seen it i still haven't you seen son it son of a bitch and, and I, when i say a li- when i say a little bit i mean a very little bit like when i was in high school i listened to a little eminem i haven't actually i really liked eminem like i could g- probably go like lyric for lyric on every episode of the marshall mathers lp but um not really a whole lot since like i've, I've heard a couple of songs and I, I still enjoy it just not to the i hadn't really gotten into it again um but like recently kendrick lamar um, Kendrick Lamar is basically to me like modern genius, like a modern take in a lot of ways of what a trap was doing. Uh, um, but with, I like, thought the low end Kanye theory and was like the that. only genius in music right now. You know, everybody says Kanye is a genius, and I, I, I don't think they're wrong. Like I've listened to some Kanye stuff. Oh, I fucking hate Kanye. Don't don't no. I'm so just Con- speaking Con- out of school, but let's not get this wrong. Uh, Kanye is a giant ball bag made of dicks. Like he's just one of the most grating horrible people that i've ever had the pleasure to know exists um granted he probably doesn't kill and eat babies but if he did he would uh probably pride himself in his ability to kill and eat babies and he would insist that he is of course the greatest person who's ever killed and ate a baby in the entire history of the universe um him and donald trump could go blow for blow on which one of them is a bigger ball bag uh but musically, he does some cool shit. Like, um, it, it's not anything that's really grabbed me, like, in the way that, like, some of the other, like, Kendrick, I really, really enjoy for a lot of different reasons. Kanye, I can see why people like him. Um, but on the other hand, it, to me, is not as engaging as some of the Here's other stuff. Here's the thing about Kanye. His music fucking sucks, dude. Like, it's all auto-tune. Like, nothing. Nah, see, I think that's, like, on the surface, I could see, you know, like, why you'd say that but like he's got flow like i mean i don't know how into rap you've ever gotten but kanye's got some flow he he can rhyme like he can rhyme intelligently in a way that i think is pretty uniquely kanye Kanye. Nah, he's a smart guy he's just a like i said he's a gigantic douche he's a fucking douche nozzle don't get me wrong i don't like kanye like i i've Oh, I've only given his album a spin a couple of times like it's nothing that like i i really stopped and i was like Man, this is changing my life right now. Here's the thing, man. This show, I would love nothing more than for this show to go nationwide and have everybody listen to it. And I'm going to go on record as saying right now, Kanye can take Yeezus and fucking shove it up his ass because I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> See, I, what I th- no, I, don't get me wrong. I, I also hate Kanye. I just, I can understand what people see. Like, I can understand that why they like him. Uh, like, he, he is not, like, in the way that I feel like Donald Trump is nothing but an empty suit packed full of bullshit, uh, Kanye is the same except for he's also got some talent in there somewhere too. He just, he just happens to be one of the world's most gigantic douchebags. Yeah. Um, 
Like Jaden Smith, Jaden Smith level of douchebaggery. Um, anyway, does it does it strike you as weird while we're on the subject of Trump? And this is just a complete segue, but does this strike you as weird that like Con Kaepernick is getting the shit beat out of him, like in the media for kneeling during the national anthem because he's protesting something that mm-hmm. he doesn't like about America, and everybody's like, "Oh, if you don't like it, you can get out." Donald Trump's whole platform is let's make America great again, as though it's not already. And But everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's yeah. a good idea. Nobody's telling him to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even try to pretend like I understand how the masses make their mind up about things. Fuck Donald like, Trump. I, anyway. keep, I keep waiting for the, the, the whole, like, I gotcha, you know, with Donald Trump. Like, uh, everybody, that was a giant trick. Like, I kept waiting for America to be like, okay, this has gone on long enough. Like, yeah. we, don't, we don't need to do this anymore. And then he Psych. actually won the Republican nomination. I was yeah. like, well, I mean, fuck America, I guess. We're a bunch of dumb bitches. Is it wrong of me that I'm just like, if Ted Cruz had won that nomination, like, at least this would be interesting right now. No, see, like, I could understand Ted Cruz. Like, I, I don't, you know, particular. like, Ted Cruz is very, like... I don't uh, agree with his politics, but I at, least, I at least get him. Like, the whole Tea Party thing, like, I, I'm not for like, it. Like, I could at least like, take him seriously. Like, if it yeah. were, there, like, like, when they were, were having a presidential debate, like... Like, that's like a, you know, normally like watching a presidential debate, it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch this, we're going to, you know, take notes, see what the candidate performs well on or not. And with the Donald Trump, you know, Hillary Clinton debate, it's like, pop some popcorn, bitches, this is going to be interesting. Did you did you see the whole thing where she was talking about him not paying his federal taxes and he was like, oh, that makes me smart. Like, yeah. and Mike, like, leaned into the mic to say it. And then an hour later, after the after the thing, like, the whole thing was there was the wreck. reporter, there was the reporter, and she was like, so... Um, did you mean to say that you didn't pay your federal taxes? Is that what you're going for? And he's like, oh, I didn't say that at all. Yeah. And I'm like, can we roll back the tape to 15 yeah, minutes ago? You were watching yeah. that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. He had similar, he, there, there was, uh, I don't know, probably a good half a dozen things where he said in the the debate that immediately set Twitter afire. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of either of our candidates right now. I'm no, just no, like, no, 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 no. Like my, somebody posted the other day, like if, if Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton are on a boat and it's sinking, who wins? And like uh, the, and the, the caption, is, the America. caption <laughs> is America. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I don't like Hillary Clinton as a candidate either. I just feel like one of the two candidates that we have is qualified to be president in any way, shape, or form. Uh, All right, let's get the fuck off of this. Yeah, We're talking about, about Luke Cage. More, but... uh, uh, something a little let's, less depressing. Let's talk specifically. So, okay, big overview. Let's just do a real high level thing. So, Luke Cage goes to Harlem. He goes and he hooks up with Pop. Yep. Uh, Pop is a barbershop owner. Uh, Pop is also connected to Riva somehow. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think we're going to get probably later on in the show that you can't spoil for me if you already know. Yeah, but no, there's I'm... a couple of threads that I pulled. Number one is um, Pop's got some connection back to some of the other characters we've been introduced in. By episode two or three, you find out that Pop is... Uh, He's kind of one of the big three from back in the day of yeah. the, of the, the gangbanger kids. So our big bad in this show so far is Cottonmouth. Cottonmouth is uh, Stokes, Mr. Stokes. Don't call him Cottonmouth. You don't like that name. He don't like that name. Um, <laughs> don't call him Cottonmouth. Uh, anyway, he's kind of our big bad guy in this show so far. And uh, back in the day, him and his, Pops and another his guy. His cousin, Medea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not Medea, but whatever. No, she's actually, I recognize her from a lot of different things, but I can't name her either. Yeah, I mean, she's like she's like one of the um, character actors like that that's you know in so many things that you immediately recognize her, but yeah. uh, I, nobody can ever think of their name. I, I, gosh, um, you know, Tabalowski is the one that I think that epitomizes this. 
Steven Tobolowsky. Um, you know, Ned, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, yeah. that's Tobolowsky. Anyway, he's been in a million things too, and you probably can't recognize his name on first base. But anyway, Cottonmouth is kind of the bad guy in the show. And, uh, pop goes back all the way to Cottonmouth and he was the, him and another guy were basically, uh, um, you know, owning the city at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, Cotton not Mouth. the city, but the block actually. They Cottonmouth were- went and did his thing and became Cottonmouth basically. Yeah. Uh, pop was, uh, he's a thug. Yeah, and uh, his nickname actually is derived from the sound his fist made when he was punching fools on the yeah. street. Uh, the other guy ended up doing crack, right? Like that was his story. Like he kind of so. fell off. Wilfredo was that was yeah. his name is his he's Chico's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Wilfredo uh, is the other guy, and um, yeah, he he did drugs and he's out of the picture now. Uh, Pop, I think, did a dime or something like that. Um, and he did some time, yeah. Yeah, he did, he did some time. He did a significant amount of time when he came out. He had kind of a different perspective. Decided he doesn't want the neighborhood to be all fucked up like he was. So he opened a barbershop and tried to make that basically a safe haven for these kids. So like he 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 talks. I mean, he talks about it specifically, saying yeah. you know like I tried to make this a place where the kids can go because they're not like they're not going to listen to you. You kind of have to you know trick them into doing something that's not completely stupid. Um, the unique thing about Pop was when he got out of prison, he decided he was going to do things by the straight and narrow. But his shop, his barber shop, basically, he made it uh, like they call it Switzerland and in, in there. And yeah. so uh, anytime there was something going down, there was a beef in the neighborhood or whatever, you could come to the barber shop no matter what side of the, of the situation you were on and uh, no shots were going to be fired. Yep. Unless, you know, you're talking about basketball. Right. Because they talked about basketball a lot and in that first they, 10 they, minutes of the show. Yeah, and they totally bust up with the other teams and whatever. But uh, Luke Luke goes and hooks up with Pop because he's got nowhere else to go after the events in Jessica Jones. He's kind of trying to figure himself out and whatnot. Uh, so he goes and he sweeps the floor in the barbershop for Pop. And he's also uh, a dishwasher at uh, Cottonmouth's Club. Yeah. not, And he's not... Uh, he doesn't care. Like no. he's just making money, trying to pay his rent and and figure out his place in the world and stuff like that. He doesn't really care about what's going on uh, with Cottonmouth or anything else. He does care about Pop. Pop kind of is a role model to him. Uh, and shit kind of goes south pretty quick in those first couple episodes, those first two three episodes, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil much here because like, uh, no, I don't think we need to. The the, the you know. I think we could wax on and talk about like every specific thing, but I don't want to take the show apart and really spoil a whole lot of it because no. uh, if you haven't watched it, just you, you need to, and I don't want to wreck that for you. No, um, and here's the thing. If you watch the first two, three episodes and you're not absolutely hooked, don't quit until you watch the fourth episode. That Both of us, have had, we were already on board anyway. So first off, this was going to be like we're definitely huge marks for this. Like we've been talking about the show and like how we're going to marathon the show basically the second it came out for probably the last few months. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that we enjoy the show. But what surprises me is that I enjoy the show a lot more than I did. I thought I was going to. Like uh, I really liked Jessica Jones, uh, but I you know Jessica Jones was not like a. I have to watch every single thing in one sitting the way that like say even Daredevil was Daredevil especially season two is probably the one that of of those three seasons of TV we've gotten so far, um, that's the one that uh, I had had to really get through like as fast as I humanly possibly could. Um, Luke Cage feels like that to me. Like uh, when we get done with the show, I'm probably going to go watch another one. Um, 
maybe yeah. you know maybe maybe it's going to be you know four o'clock in the morning and the sun's going to peak out and then i'll either finished or hey, finally good news admit is that we're sleep has to happen right now and the sun doesn't peak up until like seven o'clock now so. nice yeah yeah um so i don't know i've got i, I don't know it's 13 episode seasons nine more to go yeah I only got five more to watch. It's only eleven fifteen, folks, so we can make it happen. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think that are stand out good. Uh, definitely music. That was probably one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, one of the other things we kind of already alluded to and talked about a little bit at the beginning of the show. What Netflix has done and what Marvel especially has done in making these properties relevant again is just amazing. Like making these things that are big, gigantic, huge deals uh uh in today's modern landscape so we kind of have to talk a little bit about episode four if we're going to talk about reinventing properties like luke cage like we all have seen the comic book covers from power man um or luke cage or whatever and it and especially in his old 70s costume where he's got the the wide open yellow shirt Mm-hmm. Uh, with the collar and everything like that, and the headband and the and the gauntlets. Yeah, we don't have to go too deep into that, but, but let's just say they made that work on TV. Episode four does a really, really good job um, at explaining the origin. And here's the thing about Luke Cage: they've done such a great job of his his appearances in Jessica Jones. Yeah, and then the first three episodes of the show, like you still don't know his origin until episode four, and that's okay. Like it doesn't. No, it doesn't detract from the show at all. And then when you actually get that in episode four, you're like, fuck, this is good. Yeah, it actually kind of makes it better because, um, you know, not knowing his origin, there's all kinds of things you can assume about it. And uh, once you finally get that origin story, I think it actually makes it a little bit even better. An honorable mention to Theo Rossi in the show, too, because, um, you know, yeah, if you know anything about uh, Theo Rossi and and you listen to our show, you know that Eddie uh, and I have talked about Sons of Anarchy uh, a few times, and we're going to get back to it at some point, too. I don't know how soon, because now we have a whole new season of TV to watch um, and everything, but, uh, you know, we'll have the mid-season break, probably, and and hit some stuff, but, like, Juice, you know, from, from Sons of Anarchy, like, he is such a different character in this. Like he is definitely not juice in this. And I've watched more of this than that he has. And I can speak uh, a little bit more uh, co coherently about this particular subject. Like he is not juice <laughs> <laughs> uh, in any way, shape or form uh, when it comes to this, but he's, he's fucking killing it as shades. Yeah. I, I love and, and that's one of the things too is like you see it in episode one Luke Cage sees him for the first time he's like shades like he knows who he is yeah. but you don't know how and and you don't, that's the stuff that you figure you out get in episode four the briefest like, like half a second flashback that gives you some hint of what where they met which even in itself is like yeah like watching that the first couple of times was like how the hell did that be is that a thing so uh, I really like that aspect of things um, also as of episode four, I have a, you know, uh, I'm assuming Shades is just not a regular dude anymore, uh, but we'll see. Well, and here's the thing, man. Uh, this is what I what I took out of episode four more than anything else, um, story included, is this episode really proved how well you can do flashbacks without fucking it up. Like, number one, we've had arrow and we've had flashbacks for four years so far and we're gonna get more flashbacks in year five like we know that um 
And sometimes they're relevant to the story. Other times I really feel like it's just there to fill up part of that fucking 40 minutes. Yeah. And this episode, though, is like one solid flashback with a couple interludes of like what's happening in in current time. And that's it. Like this is that's your flashback scene. And like you might have like a, a small glimpse once in a while. But like this is really just like, OK, this is how we're going to show you what happened. And now we're moving on. Yeah, it's really well done, though. Like I, I this is actually I mean, I'm only four episodes in, but this is definitely one of my favorites so far. Um, but that said, the whole thing is tied for like super amazing, awesome place for me. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm really enjoying this. I, I, I just can't speak highly enough of like the way that Netflix has managed to reinvigorate, you know, like with Daredevil. OK, like I was on board from Daredevil with Daredevil from day one with Jessica Jones. I was like, I don't know. I don't even know who this is. And hopefully it'll be good. And Daredevil was so good. I'll give it a shot. And uh, Dare- it turned out Jessica Jones was pretty awesome, too. And now Luke Cage seems to be continuing that streak of just absolutely killing it. Yeah. And just the, the thing that happens here is just like with the MCU, like each addition they make to this that's really good, just sort of adds and expounds on how good each of the ones that came before it were um or makes them all sort of more cohesive and better as a team better together um like uh you know the mcu has done so or and especially civil war civil war adds so much to the mcu that uh the the other movies are actually kind of better for it yeah um Um, this series has me more hyped for iron fist than i was before just because i know the two characters in the comic books are super connected and they've done such a good job here that i'm just like Man, the only thing that would make this better, and I don't think it's going to happen, is if we got a small cameo from Danny Rand. Yeah. Uh, See, I wouldn't tie that out of the, or I wouldn't take that completely out of the question because so far the Netflix series have evolved from each other. Sort of. We didn't get any Jessica Jones in Daredevil, though. Like, which is, again, like I mentioned earlier, like that's kind of one of the things that was harder for me to get into with Jessica Jones than any of the other ones because at least we've kind of had a lead in to these before. But when Jessica Jones came out, it was just like, yeah, Daredevil was good, so here's another show. Yeah. And it took him it took a minute to get into it, but I'm glad I did. I I I honestly I think Jessica Jones is a really solid show. Um but, I just think it wasn't as user-friendly, so to speak, as uh Daredevil was or as Luke Cage is now. Yeah. I I do think that um you know, I I wouldn't rule uh, Danny Rand's uh um cameo out though because i do think that there are some subtle ties to each of the series that that they've been expanding upon so uh you know if nothing else with just small things like rosaria dawson is the night nurse who i know we haven't hit or i haven't hit and you haven't but but uh, i'm told i'm gonna really enjoy it she's gold in this so. yeah like so, more so than in the other series like she's been somewhat important in the other series that we've seen her in and whatnot um but there were a couple times where it was just like um she was kind of almost there as as uh, filler. Yeah, not, uh, not quite filler, not, but like MacGuffin, like some yeah, way to tie it together. This is not that. Like she's so much more important to the Luke Cage character in the show, um, just because this is her original origin. Nice. Uh, the the night nurse. Um, it wasn't Matt Murdock that she found beat up in an alley. It was Luke Cage that she found beat up in an alley, that, and she nursed him back to health in the original comic book origin and stuff like that. So I think the writers have done a little bit more toward making her... Um, Tying those two together. And Luke Cage a little bit more cohesive and whatnot. So, nice. um, and they're doing a fantastic job. So uh, I think that about covers it. 
Yeah, for me. Anyway, um, I, again, we're, we don't want to just spoil the shit out of the show because it's the one thing about the Netflix shows is it's they dump them like it, at midnight Thursday, like he was saying, going into Friday morning. Like the whole series was available, so if you wanted to, you could have waited until midnight and watched the whole series by noon the next day or or shortly thereafter. So what I'll say about all of the Netflix Marvel properties so far um, is that they're imminently bingeable. Like, they do feel like one gigantic, long, cohesive movie. Um, and I mean that in the best positive way. Like, you yeah. do want to, like, it, it's so far, every single episode I've watched so far of Luke Cage has been hard for me to stop. Um, and hard for me to not immediately move on to the next one. Uh, but, you know, stupid real life. Uh, so uh, look at look at Daredevil. Daredevil is not a story. Any comic movie really is 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 going to be hard to tell in a two hour format. But like, it's easier with characters that are accessible, like Iron Man and Tony Stark. Those guys, or that guy, like the general public kind of already knows that part of his story. They know who he is and whatnot. So you don't have to really spend a lot of time doing that to get the story. Daredevil though, and Matt Murdock. In order for you to care about the character, like you have to learn about the character first. And as 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 an audience, a thirteen episode season of a show so much more accessible than trying to do a Daredevil movie that's two two and a half hours. See, this is one of the things that I argue almost un- universally. Most of the stories that we tell in comic books, especially centered around these superheroes, would be better told on TV. Um, the only thing that I think is better suited for the movies tends to be the giant effects budgets. Uh, no third act. Yeah. That's that's the thing about a comic book is there's almost never any real real third act because you might have a resolution to part of a storyline, but there's nothing to keep the reader coming back the next month if you completely wrap everything up. So there has to be either um, a, a thread still dangling or a new problem emerging from the last issue that was solved. So it's really like act two and a half is where you get to in a comic book. And then you move back into uh, that horse, that whole cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, anyway, uh, I can't recommend Luke Cage highly enough. If you have Netflix, uh, you should go watch it. If you don't have Netflix, I think it's like nine bucks a month and that's more than enough time to watch the entirety of Luke Cage. And I think it just moved to nine 99. So even still 10 bucks, like like this is one of the other things that I think is genius on uh, Netflix's part. Ten dollars is worth the price of admission just to go see Luke Cage, or just to see Jessica Jones, or just to see Daredevil. Yeah. And they're doing a whole bunch of shit with their other original properties too. Like they've got original movies that are coming out. They've got other original TV series that are coming out. Um, but if nothing else, ten bucks a month to watch however long that takes you to watch all three of those, well worth the price of admission for any comic book fan and for most regular TV fans. And can I just say kudos to Netflix because. Um yeah, they raised their prices over the last couple of months, but really it took them several months to do it. and Years, actually. And the approach, years to do it, but like once they actually decided they were going to do it, it still took several months. Yeah. Because the approach they took was this. They're like, if you're just subscribing, you're probably going to get your price raised sooner. Yeah. But if you've been a loyal member of Netflix, like the longer you've been a member, the longer you're going to have your grandfathered price before we finally raise it stuff. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think I've been a member since 2000. I certainly remember the introduction of streaming. Like, no more than 11, probably 10. Yeah. Like I, I started with Netflix when a DVD was the only way to do Netflix yeah. and yeah. then streaming was a thing all of a sudden. And, and you know, now of course it's the opposite way. Like, 
Netflix still has a DVD plan. I think I even still have it, but I've had the same movie sitting in a bag somewhere for the last probably three years. This is this is the first uh the first month of my new price. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not complaining. Uh, so if you have Netflix, uh, definitely check out Luke Cage. If you have Twitter, follow us at Whatever Show, and we are on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Whatever Show. Uh, questions at Whatever If you want to email us questions. Yep, and uh, like we say in every show, if you would really like to help out the show, please go on to iTunes, give us a rating, and spread us as, as much as you can to all your friends, especially your nerdy comic friends that you think might like the show. iTunes is your one-stop shop because you can not only rate us, but you can berate us. Yes. Comments. Yes. There's comments there. Yeah, leave leave stars or lack of stars and then tell us why we suck. Um, we'd, we'd prefer you know you left a lot of stars and tell everybody else why we're awesome, but whatever. Do what, do what you want to do. do. It's your, it's your life. You live it how you choose. Here's the thing, man. If you tell us we suck, we're probably going to come back the next week and we're going to make you look like an idiot and then more people are going to like us because they're like, they totally schooled that guy. Yeah. So help us out. Yeah. Tell us why we suck. It's fine. Yeah. All right, everybody. See you next week. Have a good night.